This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. A big week for Frasier, a bigger week for Marvel, and the end of a sitcom monster. This week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Later Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, uh, each week taking you on a rip-roaring journey across three decades of the greatest anniversaries of television, movies, video games, and more, and it doesn't really get much bigger in the movie category than this week, but let's introduce ourselves. I'm Chris Antista. Who else is with me? Diana Goodman is ready. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm J.R. Rawls, and I get that reference. I understood that reference. (laughs) I typed that to you like just last week with no irony. Yes. I, I, I love that. Yeah, I love that so much. Anywho, you might know where we're going with this one. This is a huge, huge week for Marvel, movies that make billions of dollars. Yes, things that will end up ruling the box office in the now era. But, but then everything else is shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything else is shit. But there's some uh, season finales and some interesting. So there's still a ton of interesting stuff to talk about this week. Oh, I still want to talk about the shit. I'm oh. just going to point out that it's shit. Okay. I, uh, because that's my secret, Chris. I'm always angry about movies. <laughs> I'm always ready to talk about shit. Once again, thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Give us five bucks. You'll get extra shows. We'll be covering this week, April 29th through May 5th. Uh, everything that happened 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get it, 30, 20, 10. Let's start, as we always do, with 30 years ago. 1992. People Magazine's Most Beautiful People issue is out. Number one is Jodie Foster. Adorable. Um, from that little kid on Freaky Friday to Silence of the Lambs this year, getting an yeah. Oscar. Just uh, got an Oscar, damn it. That movie rules. Jodie Foster, always a fan. And then, this is great, 30 years ago this week, the Nickelodeon time capsule was buried at Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando, Florida. So it is three-fifths of the way through its journey through time, because it was a 50-year-old time capsule. Yes. So it will be opened April 30th, 2042. Even though I believe they had to dig it up. <laughs> yes, they, they have dug it up and moved it twice so far. It was removed in August of 2007, reburied at the Nickelodeon Suites Resort. And then when the resort closed in 2016, <laughs> it was reburied at the Nickelodeon Animation Studio. And now it's set to be open. But it wasn't opened either of those times. It was right. just reburied. Oh, so. I, I vaguely remember what's in there because I remember being so just uh, blindly jealous of a couple things they put in there because they were things that I could not have, but Nickelodeon deemed evocative of the era. We have a, uh, a, let's read it off right here. We got the smallest thing is a stick of gum. We got a skateboard in there. We've got six books, a history book, a comic book, a phone book, and a world atlas. We've got news reports from Desert Storm, the AIDS crisis, the end of the Soviet Union. We got movies, Home Alone and Back to the Future. We got photos of things that were too big to put in there, so we... T- oh, man. Pump sneakers, a Nicktoons t-shirt, which I couldn't find, like, any Nicktoons stuff at this time, and I was obsessed. But the worst of all was the Game Boy. 
they buried a goddamn Game Boy, and my parents were adamantly opposed to me getting any new game systems, especially portable ones. And I was—I I just remember being actually angry. Like, you're burying that, motherfuckers! How am I gonna get? They $80? also buried Gak, just in case the future lacks Gak. So, uh, have, have, currently, you can buy Gak on Amazon, but I don't know if that'll be the case in 2042. It's could but be it's, the world's only supply of Gak. I'm not Is sure it's Nickelodeon like, Gak. It's, oh, okay. So a oh, regular no. Gak, because that was the thing does they were selling. Does it solidify after 50? That's years? what I was saying. There's no if, if, a, if an oxygen bubble gets in there, that thing will be uh be flaky by the time they get it out. And then the next two things are totally diametrically opposed, but two phenomenons that are occurring. I read this week the United States is beginning to report on an up a phenomenon occurring around the country: karaoke. Karaoke, I think, was always big in Asian countries. But this year, and I, I kind of missed this, I'd like to stay on top of it, uh, they made a karaoke machine that connected to a server for the first time. It's Whoa. literally Ooh. the first music on demand. But like now, when we go into a karaoke bar, which Diane and I used to do pretty regularly, mm-hmm. you don't, they used to have cartridges, and you could never imagine that now. They've, they've been connected for 30 years and downloading new music for all that time. Cause, but because I think in Asian countries, you would have to like swap out eight tracks to switch around your karaoke stuff. And the on-screen displays weren't the same. But uh, this is karaoke becoming what it is. It, it's the beginning of karaoke, as uh, the U.S. knows it, 30 years ago this week. And also the L.A. riot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys, what do you know about Simi Valley, California? Ooh. Um, saw a picture of it on fire one time. Well, Simi Valley, California gets its claim to fame this week because the beating of Rodney King by all the police officers, they said, oh, the, the there was so much coverage of it in Los Angeles. They can't get a fair trial. So we're going to move it out to Ventura County at Simi Valley, which is significantly whiter than <laughs> Los Angeles. It is, it's a golf course people live on. And April 29th, uh, 1992, they acquit the officers. I know the sublime song of everything. Yeah, and people are unhappy about this, and that leads to oh, about three days of rioting. Maybe about 70 people dead, maybe 80. We're not entirely sure. 3,000 fires are set, burning down about 1,100 buildings. Mm-hmm. About 12,000 people are arrested. The cops were so desperately unprepared for what was going to happen. Oh, they yeah. thought. Oh, well, something bad might happen, so we'll set up our emergency center, which meant, like, they turned the lights on and, like, made a pot of coffee. And they just they did not <laughs> deploy out for such a militarized police force. They just were like, what? I mean, I, mean I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in my life. Like, I just... No, it, it, no. it was a and first for our lifetime. Will. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it was it, it truly bizarre imagery coming out of L.A. Because, like, you know, it's a goddamn what do you call it like a prayer in the middle of a bunch of mountains and you could just see the fires it was nuts yeah uh, and, and yeah the helicopter shots of that are, are one of the the things that's like that sticks with you where you just see all these little little tiny buildings on fire all over the place and don't and, t- uh, tell give me that shit blm is the same it is absolutely not there is like no. almost no fatalities it, it was mostly organized and peaceful whereas this was like an expression of rage well it was an explosion and it had been a long time coming right around the same time as the rodney king beating uh, a ninth grader was shot for stealing Mm -hmm. from uh, like a 
not even a grocery store, like a bodega kind of thing. And that guy got a suspended sentence. He, he didn't go to jail for shooting a kid. And really that just underlines the big, the ethnic issue here, besides being super fucking mad about the police, blacks versus Koreans became mm. a real thing because South Central is right next to Koreatown. Mm-hmm. And things kicked off pretty bad in South Central. It starts really with just people on the street throwing shit if they see a cop. And then it starts escalating of like, oh, they're leaving. They can't do anything. So we're going to smash up the place. And then you start with the looting because no one's stopping you. Right. And you're mad. Mm-hmm. And then it migrates out into Compton, into Watts, then into Koreatown where the rage really got focused. And that's, I feel like that part's kind of underreported in that there was a lot of tension between black folks and Korean immigrants. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was like, why are these Korean folks coming into our neighborhood, starting businesses and they seem to be doing well. Why aren't there more black owned businesses? And that's a legitimate question. Uh Yeah. The, the, uh, strangely enough that five parts, very long OJ Simpson documentary Mm -hmm. gives a phenomenal history in like its first two episodes of this, tense standoff between the LA police that's like a hundred years and black people that's like a hundred years old a simmering oh. pot that like yeah. white people like me had no idea was occurring and why that also oh. bled into the well, OJ yeah I mean, this sends a like ripple over LA culture for the next decade uh the Simpson trial is absolutely in the shadow of this a hundred percent they're like we have to make sure this is not a repeat of the Rodney King trial, officer's uh, trial. And it permeates the view of L.A. for the next decade. Anytime you're looking at the future of L.A., it's 100% with this riot firmly in mind, at least until the 21st century. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, yeah, it was such a long time coming because the LAPD and the LA, LA Sheriff's Department, I mean, to this day, pretty fucking fucked up. Uh, and there's an awful lot of racists and there's racist gangs. But at the time, it was headed by a guy named Daryl Gates, who'd been around for about 15 years. Uh. And he was like Mississippi in the 60s racist. <laughs> like he just didn't even think about like he said, oh, chokeholds affect black people different than regular people. Whoa. Direct uh, quote. Wow, deeper than the N word. Uh. OK. Yeah. So it was very frustrating because I I lived near LA. I got all the LA TV stations, but I also like Simi Valley lived in a very white neighborhood. And people's reaction to this was basically the exact opposite of what it should have been. Not like these people are angry for a reason so much as, oh, look at those animals. It takes nothing to set them off and they just want to steal stereos. And that's part of why people try to rebrand it as an uprising, because it is clearly in response to a thing. Yeah. But also there's murders going on and burning down shops after you steal everything and white truck drivers getting the living bejesus beat out of them. Ah. Poor Reginald Denny. He he became the new Rodney King, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Well, those guys actually face some justice. They got time. Right. For breaking a cinder block over a guy's head. Yeah, it was rough footage. Oh, I'm... yeah, yeah, it is. It is very, very rough footage. And yet, like the one thing I remember more than anything is Edward James almost. That guy must have put a thousand what? miles on his car in a couple of days. He went to every radio station. He went to every TV station. All of a sudden, Edward James almost is just popping up and telling everyone, "Keep your kids at home. Don't let them go out. Everyone go home now." And I'm like, okay. Hey, Edward James almost what happened yeah. just walking into and, stations and being and like is, I'm here to tell them it, it's also worth pointing out that in the midst of the riots Rodney King the man who was beaten made a passionate plea for peace yep this is where we get the 
uh, famous people. I just want to say, can't we all get along? Can't Mm -hmm. we all get along? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the man who was beaten, pleading for his community to not engage in in the acts that were going on. Yeah. And that's become a punchline. Yeah. Yeah. But it was such a heartfelt sentiment. Yeah. uh, A man who honestly had no, I don't want to say reason to say it, but no hard obligation to say it given what he had been through right yeah yeah i mean if why, anyone why had, wouldn't he be as pissed as anybody else yeah, if right. anyone was like get in the streets shut down the city it should have been him and he's like please stop yeah and it we, just became this together verboten soundbite and you forget actually where it came from because it just pops up in all those like year-end decade-end features and it's just a, yeah yeah you, you lose some of the context there but um yeah so uh yeah the national guard gets called out uh, a a curfew is in place pretty much the first night uh it's worth pointing out the mayor was black and he was fucking pissed mm. and he made a statement right as violence was starting and some people were like oh he started it and it's like dude no it's his job to come out and be like i'm pissed off but i did hear a funny story about the la riots Please. you want to hear a funny la riot story mm-hmm. so tupac was in town recording mm-hmm. and this all it started in the afternoon about four or five p.m uh he and his buddies raced down to south central to see what was going on and got to a record store that was being looted where people started recognizing him and asking him to sign their stolen records. Sweet. <laughs> Those have to be worth way more than regular yeah. Tupac signatures. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I got to say, if you're in possession, I, but how would you certify it? How you see, would you like You see the melted cellophane here? See, <laughs> this proves that I looted this record and got Tupac to sign it during the riots. If you look mm. at the way he signs the T here, you could tell he was writing this while uh, jogging. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. how are you dealing with aftermath of this for a really long? Yeah, time. I don't want to uh, give it short shrift, but you know, it's a big show this yeah. week because it's important yeah. to remember, and I feel right. like not many yeah. people also, do. Also, I think it helps uh, cost George Bush the election. He, I he mean, lost by a lot. I mean, there were a lot. A lot. There's a lot of reasons: Perot being in the race, splitting the vote, and the fact we're in a terrible recession. But the fact that he's just this old white guy who clearly does not know how to talk to black people and doesn't give a shit. Mm. Whereas Bill Clinton, like he feels them. I feel he your feels pain. pain. Mm. Yeah. More sound bites. All right. Movies of 1992, April 29th through May 5th. Basic instinct is still number one. Holy shit. Your, uh, mm. your parents are still going to see that beaver shot. Uh, every time you had a babysitter during the early 1992, that's what they were doing. Live Wire is a movie that I've never heard of. That's oh out this week. Lauren Holly, Norman Burton, Philip Baker Hall, Brent Jennings, Al Waxman, Tony Plana, Lisa uh, Elbacher, and Ben Cross, Ron Silver, and Pierce Brosnan. Okay, so in 2002 and 2012, we have a bunch of terrible movies because no one wants to go up against heavy hitters. Yes. I don't know what the excuse is for 1992 (laughs) because we have such an assortment of bizarre crap, and I love it. Livewire is when... Again, Pierce Brosnan is not James Bond yet, but he stopped being Remington Steele. They're not really sure what to do with him, and he doesn't really know what to do. So he stars in a thriller about basically a poison you can slip on people that makes them spontaneously human combust. Yeah, it turns their sweat into a bomb. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's definitely weird to, like, mentally put in James Bond being the one having to deal with this mm-hmm. instead of whoever Pierce Brosnan is actually playing in this. Uh, Danny O'Neill, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it is, it is a wacky, wacky premise. And what amazes me is that they made a sequel to this. What? 
Yeah, yeah, Livewire 2. Like, um, literally no movie this week makes any money. These all lose money. Mm-hmm. Everything. But the sequel is in name only. It mm. continues nothing of the plot of Livewire 1. It continues none of the characters, none of the same cast. So somehow this had such <laughs> cachet to its name that they were no. like, yes, let's, let's, let's make our sequel in name only to Livewire. Well, I mean... I guess on the surface, it's basically scanners, but making people explode and, and not with psychic powers, but like it's something you can slip in someone's drink and, oh no, the judge is ruling against you. And then, uh... The book, uh, Washington, D.C. Guide to the Movies, called this the best bad movie set in Washington, D.C. And uh, I guess I'll have to agree. Yeah. Also out this week, Meg Tilly and uh, Christine Lottie in uh, Leaving Normal. Yeah, that's sort of a low-key indie pointing to where low-key indies are kind of going to end up. Mm-hmm. Except it's directed by Edward Zwick, whose last movie I think was Glory. I guess he just wanted to do something smaller. And it's two ladies dealing with troubles and going on a road trip. But it's not Thelma and Louise. It's much calmer. <laughs> a lot less gunplay. It's fine. And then we have uh, oh, lots of difficult to name uh, names here. Jamal Shah, Hiroshi uh, Fuji- Fujioka, David Cubitt, Julia Nixon uh, Soul. Patricia Charbonneau, uh, Luca Burford, God damn it, Diana, Raymond J. Perry, Matt Craven, and Michael Bean, and K2. Okay, none of those people star in this film. Yes. The no. star of this movie is the mountain. The star of this film is the climbing itself. Yeah, it's the second tallest mountain in the world, but it's much harder to climb than Everest. This is weird because I, you know, just like this matches up with like vertical limit in my head of like climbing movies and... It was weird to find out this was based on a stage play. What? Like <laughs> I do not see how do you, that. Like how a, a two-hander stage play about based on these folks climbing K2 and terrible things happening. Maybe they, they film it like a uh, Batman and Robin. They ask the audience <laughs> to sit on their sides. <laughs> Everyone tell. <laughs> yeah. So I used to rock climb and it's absolutely a sport you have to take seriously. It's a hobby where if you mess it up, you can die. But that's the problem. It is a hobby. And we are trying to get invested in our stars who are risking their <laughs> lives for a hobby. Say your job. Yeah, uh, one of them uh, is a recent father of a newborn baby, and he knowingly decides to go climb K2, even though his wife points out that all these things you're showing me say how a large percentage of the people who try this die, and you still want to leave me and our newborn baby to go do your hobby. They're not doing it to protect anyone. They're not even doing it for fame and fortune. They're doing it just to do it. There was a point when I had a newborn baby and I was out rock climbing with my friend. Uh, Actually, we were just hiking and we saw a path and we were like, hey, that looks easy. We'll go up. We didn't have any gear. We started soloing it a little bit and then we get up a little ways and I turn to him and I say, hey, I'm not 18 anymore. Mm. And he turns to me. He says, you know what? I'm not 18 anymore either. And it was just this moment of clarity where we didn't intend to solo. It just kind of happened. But pretty quickly into the process, we realized we were risking our lives for no real good purpose. And we stopped and very, very slowly came down. And I will never forget that feeling and that awareness of what I was doing. And it made it really hard to sympathize with this guy of planning this hugely 
expensive like it's a fortune to climb this thing yeah dangerous yeah. Um, it, it, yeah you were just fucking around and saw a rock you didn't spend yeah. you know fifty thousand dollars just to make it to like everest base camp like now, people do have you have exactly you googled fucking the bodies on everest like yeah. it is insane they're, they're landmarks people go yeah. oh yeah turn, they point turn the right directions at this dead guy and then you'll climb for about uh four hours and you'll come across this dead guy but it's like if that many people died doing anything else would we still do it <laughs> and would, would we pay out the nose to do it i guess maybe yeah, if you want if you it. like you were sending people to space and i had the money i would definitely do it i don't yeah know. It, it, it's it's a weird hobby i mean on one hand the most dangerous sport is no sport. Okay. What? Far more people die from obesity and lack of okay. exercise <laughs> than die of every exercise combined. That's true. That's just flat out. You look at the statistics. Yeah. That is true. So I, I can give a little slack to a semi-dangerous exercise because at least you're exercising. But this is a bridge too far, man. It's, it's just too far into the like needlessly dangerous for no good reason territory for me. My, yeah, my hobby is to punch out the windows of moving cars. Really gets my cardio <laughs> in. I can justify anything. That was that was K2. I just I vividly remember the poster because it looks just like FX2, like the same yeah. font and everything. <laughs> it's funny. I like I looked it up and I I didn't remember it and I kind of turned away from my computer and I looked back and I'm like, is that a can of Red Bull? Oh no, wait, that's the poster. <laughs> like it kind of looks like an energy drink, drink from far away. Man, they make a boring mountain climbing movie like every four years. And then uh folks <laughs> Hey, you know you know what's better than mountain climbing? What's that? Total senility. Moving. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. Dementia's great. Black comedies are such a tricky thing to get right, and mm -hmm. this does not. It it doesn't stick the landing. It sticks the takeoff and the flight checklist and even the little pretzels. It fails at every aspect of being a good black comedy. Of course, we're talking about baby John Favreau and Joseph Wayne Miller, Robert Pastorelli, Michael Murphy, Wendy Crewson, Christine Ebersole, and uh, Jackson Donamichi, and Tom Selleck in Folks! What do you think the guy who has everything? I'm happy. Parents. We don't want to be a burden. We'll sleep in the car. For laughs. <laughs> For tears. You're lucky there was a family member with you when it happened who could sign the consent form. Forever. I love you, Dad. Tom Selleck, Donamichi, Folks. From the creators of Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> oh, yep. I did take a look at the screenwriter's career on this. It's like, oh man, man with one red shoe. This is a lot of unremarkable stuff that I used to play on television all the time. Yeah, Donna Michi, all 84 and still not his final role, plays Tom Selleck sans mustache. Dad. Is that even legal? Yeah, it that... shouldn't be shouldn't be it's always pretty disturbing yeah uh his his dad who has dementia and has to move in with him and wackiness ensues including them him and his wife plotting to kill themselves to give the insurance money to their children Jesus, that's that goes on a while yeah and i, I keep saying it like that because the, the title has an exclamation point in it so it sounds like a, like a hacky comedian punching up their jokes folks i tell you yeah as in that's all Folks. What the living crap? I am angry and everyone in this deserves better and I'm not really sure why they signed on for this cuz it's uh it's weird and dumb and honestly pretty offensive. That weekend at Bernie's money. I mean, oh, yeah. they they had probably all seen Weekend at Bernie's 
a hundred times on HBO at this point. And they heard it was from the writer and they was like, you know, I'd like to be on HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, and the USA Network at the same time. Yeah, yeah three times sure. a day. Uh, directed by the guy who directed First Blood. Well, that's funny. Count me in. <laughs> and uh, uh, it looks like, it, yes, it was a bomb and it's got a 0% on Rotten Tomato. So, uh, yeah, folks is not recommended. Uh, but then, you know, that's... We deal with the cards we're dealt here at 302010. We don't uh, we don't curate. Well, we do curate, but uh, we can't pick something from a different week. So the biggest movie of the week would be the also would, is also a bomb. Would yeah. be the second biggest movie on Showtime even this week. It is <laughs> Pete Postlethwaite, Alan Armstrong, Michael J. Pollard, Neil Duncan, Kim Cattrall, and Rutger Hauer in split second. A cop is out of control, and the killer's on the loose, terrifying, devastating, split second. Sweet dream. Cool. Oh, man. So this is kind of a dressed-up X-Files episode before the X-Files was a thing. Ooh, that works, yeah. Yeah, because Rutger Hauer is after the serial killer that killed his partner, and he keeps seeming to, like, show up where he is and taunt him, and he's, like, taking people's body parts and oh he's scary and then they catch up with him and it turns out like he's not really a dude it's like a monster hell yeah um very grungy early 90s cyberpunk look going down i i call it yeah. bad blade runner because it was written with harrison ford in mind to star haha mm -hmm. and instead they got his blade runner co-star rudger howard mm. oh yeah good point yeah this this and livewire are movies i've seen come up as like fun bad movies to watch with your buddies yeah, yeah. i can so, see this yeah yeah like it's doing something different. We didn't have a lot of grungy horror or grungy action in '92. Yeah, so there's, there's nobody yeah. like Rudger Hauer. That yeah, is that so. is a weird, intense dude uh, that mm. I like seeing on screen. See, with that, with, look, this is the fastest we ever gotten through the movies. Uh, they suck. We can uh, <laughs> move into television in 1992. Uh, oh, but it's a big week. April there. 29th through uh, May 5th. And uh, what is the '80s gets another shovel full of dirt thrown on its coffin. We talked about that over the last couple weeks. We're getting a lot of things that are just evocative of the 80s era themselves are get, finally getting the axe. Who's the boss? This whole month, it, I looked ahead, it goes on for a few more oh, yeah. weeks. We are going to have 80s show after 80s show dying, dying, dying. But this is the biggest of the bigs. This is yep. huge. This, this was, feels I, like America's dad is abandoning us right when we need him because we don't understand why the black kids are so angry. Because oh, the same night, the same night, the L.A. Riots kickoff is the last episode of The Cosby Show. The Cosby Show. Cosby Show airs its series finale. And I was watching this live because I did was a watcher of the Cos a casual viewer of The Cosby Show. I'm not saying that because of Bill Cosby's current reputation. We had one TV. My mom watched the show. Occasionally I'd watch it. I kind of liked it. Watched it in syndication. But I'd really never seen anything like this because this aired with like an hour-long retrospective as well. Because mm -hmm. this was like such a huge deal. It was Seinfeld-esque in that it was closing its doors when it was still not not at no, its it peak. Was a, it was a ratings juggernaut. Yeah, Most was... shows would be happy for the Cosby show yeah. ratings in their worst year. Yeah. You it, know. The, the plug was pulled by Cosby, not the network. So like it, people were ready to miss the show. It... Yeah. In that retrospective, they say that in 1983, only two sitcoms cracked the top 20 most watched television shows in the United States. And then the Cosby mm. show comes along and it really brings back the sitcom in a huge way that we're really not 
happy to talk about given who Bill Cosby is. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the 1980s, his impact was huge and ginormous. And it's really hard to overstate how big and important the Cosby show was as an institution. Yeah, it was the number one show from 1986 to 1990. And of television viewers, on average, 30% of them were watching Cosby when it was on. Yeah, it's like, uh, I think this is like 25 million people tuning into the for the finale. And mm -hmm. that's not even at its peak. Yep, not even close. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, we will never have a show this big again. I don't know if we did even like the Seinfeld finale or... Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, just the show overall being so popular. I don't know. No, nothing's nothing scripted really has, I, no. I think, could come anywhere near it. I mean, other than MASH, obviously, but like uh, yeah. scripted entertainments right. people enjoy differently. And and we'll never be able to tabulate that into something that rivals what the Cosby show. How many people are watching this finale? And because uh, yeah. oh, they, they, we have a clip of the news coverage? We do have a clip of the riots being interrupted for the mayor of L.A. to encourage people to watch the Cosby Show finale. Oh, man. That's CLA right. is closed, but the hospital and medical centers are open, but be prepared to display your ID. If you have to go anywhere tonight, be and prepared to show who you are and what your business much is. Much of USC, the Santa Monica beaches are closed, too, by the way. Okay, we've got Jess here. Now, there's been some uh, change in back and forth about what Bill Cosby intends to do ah. because he's very... Concerned about this, and very, of course... Not anymore, because we're having a welcome change of pace for eight years. Uh, Bill Cosby has made us laugh, has made us cry, has made us think. The Cosby Show has been a breath of fresh air in a sometimes crazy and chaotic world, much like we saw today. But tonight is the final episode of The Cosby Show, their farewell. Today, Mayor Tom Bradley urged everyone in Los Angeles to remain home, to stay off the street. He also suggested they might want to watch The Cosby Show, because he believes, and we believe, we need this time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I it's you're right. It's not comparable, but uh, it, can you imagine a sh show streaming on television during the BLM issues yeah. where anyone says, "Go watch this show"? I can't. Yeah. That's how big of a cultural everybody sport. relax. Go home and watch El Camino premieres on <laughs> End of Breaking Bad. Finally, we get to see it. Uh, yes, we should defund the police, but first, did you know there's a second season of Russian Doll? It just started. <laughs> That'd be a good time. But that was the monocultural world that Bill Cosby made himself the king of, and he made himself the king of it while being an African-American, something that was unprecedented yeah. to be as popular with black and white audiences as the Cosby show was that it, that is why it was so huge and such a big deal when it was in. for, for and me that's why the kids won't understand how betrayed we all yes. felt when we found out oh that guy's a fucking monster and he's been this whole time because yeah. I'm I'm a little kid in the 80s Cosby has st still best-selling comedy albums he's yep. touring he's got the number one sitcom He's got reruns of Fat Albert. He appears every day on Nickelodeon doing picture pages. And he's also on like a shitload of Jell-O commercials. He was yeah. unignorable. You could not avoid seeing Bill Cosby. I Spy was running in syndication. Yeah, I Spy would be day. running. I, I remember it. watching it in Nick and Knight because I, I yeah. liked Bill Cosby. So I followed him over there. Didn't really get it, but there you are. The Cosby show ends and I just if, like... Yeah, if Bill Cosby wasn't a monster which he is, mm -hmm. this show would still be huge, okay? It made $2.5 billion mm -hmm. 
And $1.5 billion of that was from syndication. You cannot find it anywhere right. now. Mm -hmm. If he was not a monster, they would absolutely reboot the series like they did Full House. It would be welcomed on so many streaming platforms. It would still be a cultural force today, mm -hmm. but it really disappeared very quickly because no one wanted to be associated with a rapist who was raping people literally on the set of where he was America's dad. Yeah. And it's such a shame because it was such a good show. It's, you know, worth pointing out. Yeah. It's about a, a middle-class black family, which, you know, we didn't see how, you know, these upper middle-class family and it dealt with, you know, teenage issues and black issues and little kids issues. And the cast was so talented and mm -hmm. goddamn. It, yeah. it's so it's so unfair to them can we oh, yeah yeah we, television replace him with christopher Plummer. television even for a star as big as, mm -hmm. as big as bill cosby is not a solo project the cosby show depended upon having great cast great writers directors who could do their job all these other people who will never see another residual check like they would have if bill cosby hadn't been a monster and who have their cultural legacy just washed away to the wind. Because there, if you look at, you can find YouTube perspective of television shows that are far less culturally impactive than the Cosby show. But when you look up the Cosby show now, all you get are, we need to talk about Bill Cosby. We mm -hmm. need to talk about the rapes, which yeah. fair enough. But everyone who was on that show who had nothing to do with that, they're still having all their work just deleted and i think that's good honestly it's just not fair yeah yeah it's just a, a bad casualty and a, a good thing with a good thing being bill cosby slowly dying and yeah <laughs> uh and of course he did get out of prison on a technicality yes. so at the end of the day bill cosby will have spent the vast vast majority of his life rich powerful secure in his fame and wealth and then like a four-year prison stint and he'll still die rich. I didn't know it was that long. The actual show itself is about Theo graduating. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fairly know-nothing plot, which is fair enough because the Cosby show was never about big, giant changes. There's a moment from it which has stuck out with me because I watched it live at the time. It's Theo's graduating class is so big that they say, everyone stand up, now sit down. And mm -hmm. Bill Cosby's like, what? What happened? And... Uh, his wife says he just graduated. We paid $100,000 for him to attend college, and they can't even give us a little ceremony? Oh, look at me. I'm standing up. I'm sitting down. I just graduated college. Look at me. I, I, I'm not a parent, but I would really like that to expedite that process greatly, especially for uh, college. You dude. want it to be expedited for everyone but your kid. Right. And then for your kid. Got that A name, baby. Be, yeah, be the special <laughs> moment. Get up there first. Also, also this week, another classic sitcom that we don't have to reflect as poorly yes. upon. Uh, Cheers, this... Bar Wars 6. This time it's for real. Oh my gosh. The Bar Wars episodes are some of my favorites. The Cheers bar has a rivalry with Gary's Old Town Tavern, which we very rarely see, but maybe once every season, season and a half, they have a prank war, which usually gets ridiculous very quickly. But now Gary sold Gary's Old Town Tavern. And there's a new owner. And are the pranks going to continue? Yeah, we should haze them. Let's come to keep doing the prank war. It doesn't work out well. Turns because... out they're mobbed up. They're yeah. a front for the mob. <laughs> you probably shouldn't let loose a bunch of goats inside the bar if they're mobbed up. They're not going to like that. Mm. 
and I won't spoil the ending, but it actually surprised me, and it was it's still funny to watch. So yeah, if you're if you're looking up. to binge Cheers, just find every Bar Wars episode and binge them all. I think that would work completely. Mm. Yeah, they're really good. But and, uh, have a special guest. I'd forgotten about this mm-hmm. special guest cameo. You know, but they ought to get you for 60 minutes as an anchor. You no, I, I'm John Kerry, Senator Kerry from Massachusetts. Our senator. I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm so sorry. Senator, senator Body. Yeah, it's no problem. Cheers, they baby. They misspell his name in the credits. Really? No. Really? <laughs> with a C? That no, with an extra E. Kerry. Oh, tragic. Uh, probably yeah, the most yeah, tragic. He was thing just a senator Jeopardy. at the time, you know, no one special at all. And huh. uh, yeah. Unless yeah, you were from not Boston. Future Secretary of State or uh, presidential candidate. Nope. Um, and then we Boring also. Is this a show called Deo? It's a TV movie called Deo. Deo. Like the Harry Belafonte song. Uh, The best thing for a pregnant businesswoman, Delta Burke, is the return of her impish childhood fantasy friend, played by Elijah Wood. Good Lord, this seems like a misguided idea. (laughs) So it's Drop Dead Fred with Elijah Wood and Delta Burke, but not in the roles I'm expecting? Correct. Like, who... Who looked at the returns from Drop Dead Fred and went, we've got to get on this hype train? <laughs> and then the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air airs Strip Tease for Two. And it's difficult to forget this episode because uh, take it off, Carlton. This is the second appearance of the Carlton dance. Oh! Oh! Which he does without a shirt on. Hell yeah. yeah. The boys end up stripping because they lost Aunt Viv's expensive bracelet because they were betting on the stock market with some insider trader information. Oh. And so the only logical thing to do is to become strippers for an organization and then get confused with a piece of paper that was supposed to be about Vivian's snooty club and then dance as strippers when that club was expecting uh, ethnic music. Ah. I'm so confused. This is only 22 minutes and I'm so confused. Yeah. The the banks are millionaires. I don't really, I don't see, I don't think Carlton and Will need to take to the poll to to overcome the loss of 500 bucks. As always, it's because you want to keep it a secret. It's true. All sitcoms can be resolved if people just didn't want to keep things secret. Stop lying. And then we're still talking about the run up to the end of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Uh, 29 years. Will always be the biggest legacy in late night television. But he's got, everybody wants to be a guest. What do we got here? Just flew in from another city. And uh, I was sitting at the gate. And uh, you get on the plane, you know, you sit there and you're waiting for the thing to pull back and it's not pulling back. And I'm thinking, what causes these delays when you're just right there at the gate? So I was wondering, is it possible that the plane has keys? Do they need keys to start the plane? (laughs) And is it possible then that the pilot is up there going, oh, I don't believe that. (laughs) Ah, funny man, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, I have wondered that. For 30 years, because I watched this live, and I've <laughs> never forgotten this act. I don't think- Do you think key, uh, planes have keys? Not to start them, I don't think. I did just start a plane with my bare hands. I shouldn't fucking know this. Uh, but I, <laughs> I don't I don't remember like turning a key or anything like that to start the, start the engine. But yeah, in the run-up uh, to Johnny's end, anyone who's anyone is desperate to get on the show. Mm-hmm. And... As soon as they announce the last season of The Simpsons, we're going to see the same thing. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised they had Jerry on to do a stand-up set and not just come on and be like, so you got a TV show, huh? 
<laughs> like they, they gave him the extra time to do the stand-up set. Yeah. I mean, that was probably, I have to imagine that was his doing, Jerry's doing, because dude loves, so. weird about stand-up. Like he's, but, um, but he's got a TV show, but it's not popular yet. It's not popular yet. But he was, he was still popular with the Tonight Show audience. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Moving briefly into games of 1992, April 29th through, uh, through May 5th, Ultima 7, The Black Gate hits PC 7? This was huge. Earlier, I talked about how another Ultima game, the Stygian Abyss, was the start of the modern RPG movement for 3D. This is the start of the modern RPG movement for depth. Okay, let, let me give you an example. Keep in mind, this game was made in 1992 of how in-depth this game can get you. Okay, in this game, you can harvest wheat with a scythe, mill that wheat into flour, Mix it with water pulled from a well or any liquid and put that in your mind because it's going to come in later to make dough. Bake that dough into bread and then give that bread into people in need. So the first thing you come across in this game is a slaughtered scene with a person brutally murdered and a bucket full of blood. If you want, you can use that bucket of blood (laughs) in your baking process to make bread, blood bread, and then serve that bloody bread, bled. to the father of the slaughtered son, whose blood it was you found at the murdered scene. That's... Yeah, little Titus <laughs> bitch. Sounds like a PC game to me. Combined but with he, everything in 1992, that was insane. Yeah, uh, this has so many things to do, so many side quests, but it's all like clunky. Like you have to work to earn your fun in this. It had Gump graphical user menu pop-ups. So everything goes in a bag and you can put the bag in the suitcase and you can put the suitcase down a well. But if you put it down the well and you can't get it back and you need something in that bag, which is in the suitcase, which is in the well to win the game, sucks to be you. You can't win the game. (laughs) Yes. Remember a bunch of that stuff with adventure games back then. Uh, Legend of uh, Cryandia for PC? Friendly fantasy world with very minor danger, but a a solid adventure game. And we got Visuals are awesome and super colorful. Ninja Commando Commando Neo and Mutation Nation Neo. Ninja Commando is a beautiful run and gun. Mutation Nation is a beat-em-up that looks like your typical collapsed city. It's it's uh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, As as we're a pop culture podcast, and the LA riots are going to be influencing video games and TVs and movies in the collapsed urban landscapes in a huge way over the next couple of years. Is that why I can't get more Final Fight? Mm. Books! Books out this week. uh, Quartered Safe uh, out here by um, uh, George MacDonald Frazier. This is a funny and horrifying first-person memoir of an utterly forgotten area of the World War II. Uh, There was a place called the China-India-Burma Theater. This is the area of uh, the war in Asia that gets completely forgotten about because the very few Americans fighting in it, but literally tens of millions of people died on that front. And this is a memoir of George MacDonald Frazier, who went on to be a famous author as a 19-year-old soldier just fighting a grunt's war in the middle of the jungle against the Japanese, and it's incredible. He would go on to create, his most famous character is Harry Flashman, who will be having his 200th fictional birthday this week as well because he was born may 5th 18 
22. Hard pivot to crisscross <laughs> as we get into the music <laughs> of 1992. Uh, April 29th through the, to uh, May 5th. Jump by crisscross is still number one, and it still kind of makes me happy. I, I really got sick of it as a kid, but like it's just so silly and fun. And it just it feels like a kid's song. But apparently the rest of the country was listening to it, too, because you could dance to it easily. New releases also include The Longest Line by No Effects, Daily Operation by Gangstar, uh, the self-titled English language debut by John Cicada, and Milagro by Santana. We're going to close out this segment appropriately with Straight Outta Compton by NWA. No reason. <laughs> when we get back, we got to start talking about some serious Spider-Man. So when I'm in your neighborhood, you better duck. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. If I could fall into the sky, do you think time would pass me by? Heading into 2002 with A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton off of Be Not Nobody. Is that a double negative? Whatever. This song I now find hilarious. I don't know what meme did it. It might be the one where in GTA. Probably the the GTA horse. Oh no! Piano? Yes, it's the, they <laughs> they turn the GTA car into a piano and it just drives around to this song and it's fucking hysterical. Yeah, thousand miles, perfectly reasonable song. I now like l- l- guffaw at when I hear in real life. Welcome to 2002, April 29th through May 5th. Other new music releases include the last broadcast by Dubs, the beginning stages of by the Polyphonic Spree, Castaways and Cutouts, the debut from the Decemberists, the self-titled album from Trey Anastasio, Blazing Arrow by Black Alicious, and uh, the self-titled album by Between the Buried and Me, Foolish by Ashanti, is still number one. Still. This... I remember this was a hit, but goddamn. And then getting into the news... Oh my God! Okay, I do remember this. Stan Jones, a wonderful Papa Smurf, runs for Senate seat in Montana as a Libertarian. He is known for his artificially induced blue-gray skin tone caused by consuming large quantities of homemade colloidal silver. 
This is the guy I thought of every time the previous guy said some crazy COVID solution. This guy, James Gunn, you have a little time to put him in Guardians of the Galaxy. He would just look, if he's still alive, <laughs> it should look great. It has my second favorite early Daily Show interview of all time. Why so blue? Because I'm misused colloidal silver. Colloidal <laughs> silver is a natural antibiotic which strengthens the body's immune system. I used it in too high a concentration. Why did you take so much? Well, uh, I was concerned about Y2K. Y2... Whatever happened with that? Nothing happened. <laughs> I, 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 just, I have not stopped thinking about that. Y2K, whatever happened, nothing happened for 20 years. Anytime I see someone freaking out online, mentally my mind just plays that clip. How colloidal silver turns you blue-gray kind of fascinates me mm -hmm. because it's... You, you basically have created the emulsion that is on early photography plates. <laughs> and it de you develop in the sun. That's that's basically how that works. I'm surprised more people don't do it just for like to look cool. It's, it seems yeah, cheaper it, than tattoos. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it right now. To be the only blue podcaster. And then uh, Jacques Chirac wins the French presidential election for his uh, second term, defeating Jean-Marie Le Pen, uh, leader of the far-right National Front. Ah, plus so, ça change, plus ça la même chose. So in 2002, the far-right in France got 18% of the vote. In the previous election to the most recent one, it was 34%. And just this week, it was 42%. Oh, boy. So this is, this is a trend that is going in one direction. Mm. Not, no, not good. And I love the numbers coming out of like, so why did you vote for Macron? It was like a ridiculous amount. It was like, well, it, it, he's not that Nazi Marine Le Pen. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, okay. And uh, movies of 2002, April 29th through May 5th. Don Duong, <laughs> Duong, Forrest Whitaker, and Patrick Swayze in Green Dragon. I've never heard of this. No, but don't let that cast fool you. This is not a Patrick Swayze movie or a Forrest Whitaker movie. This mm -hmm. is about Vietnamese immigrants uh, at the end of the Vietnam War coming over and trying to reunite with their families and adjust to life in the U.S. All yeah. right. And uh, uh, it could get pretty good, decent reviews. Patrick Swayze was going for another Oscar after not winning it 10 years ago for the film set oh, in India we just talked City about. City of Joy, yeah. City of Joy. Yeah. yeah, kind of. I mean, it's a very small indie movie. Might also be based on a play. Green Dragon makes it sound like he's going to bust up a drug ring or something, but mm. no, that's, that's not it at all. You're not going to love this movie, Diana. I don't know who will. Oh, yeah. fuck yeah. We finally have a good movie to talk about. Jennifer Tilly, Joanna Lumley, Carrie Always, Eddie Izzard, Edward Herman and Kirsten Dunst in the Cat's Meow. Yes, bitch. It's the prequel to Mank. Which <laughs> <laughs> oh, is the prequel to Citizen Kane or the prequel to RKO 251. Yeah. Yeah. I... The Cat's Meow is about William Randolph Hearst and his girlfriend, but never wife because he was still already married, Marion Davies, and is based on true events where he had this big party on his boat with Charlie Chaplin was there and Luella Parsons was there. All these, you know, people and they're they're out and they're partying and they're having fun and uh a guy dies and uh, officially they're like oh it's, it's an appendix or something whatever but it the rumors have always been there that actually william randolph first shot him because mm. thought that either either thought he was charlie chaplin and was having an affair with his girlfriend or thought that he thomas Hintz, was having an affair with a girlfriend yeah and it is real fun it's directed by peter bogdanovich mm -hmm. who 
heard the story firsthand from Orson Welles, you know, as you do. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I saw this. I, I, I think I bought this a long time ago, but I, I didn't, I hadn't seen Citizen Kane yet. Oh, golly. So, oh, wow. I, yeah. So, like, I, I got I should have rewatched it this yeah. week. No, it, it stands on its own, even mm-hmm. if you haven't seen Citizen Kane, which is a good primer on the broad strokes of William Randolph Hearst's actual life, but just by itself, like, it's really fun. It's about, you know, going nuts in the 20s with rich, fancy people and then the backstabbing and jealousy and suspicions. And yeah, Eddie Izzard's really good as uh, Charlie Chaplin. Edward Herman's freaking great as her. She's like a lot of fun. It's a good week for Kirsten Dunst. She's busy. Ooh, ooh okay. Um, yeah, Cats Me Out. Total recommend. Cats Me Out. Probably in our not recommended mm. uh, Bill Cosby honoree. Uh, <laughs> Fred Melman, Greg Matola, Isaac Mizrahi, Peter... Garrity, uh, Tiffany Thiessen, Treat Williams, Mark Rydell, Deborah Messing, Taya Leone, George Hamilton, and Woody Allen in Hollywood ending. It's our annual Woody Allen movie, everyone. Yeah. It's time to rank towards the bottom. Yeah. This is the only Woody Allen movie I've ever seen. What? Oh, my. up, baby. Yeah. I, I never have watched one of his films. And uh, for this podcast, I watched this. And yikes. <laughs> I, I do not see the appeal of this nervous Jewish fella that he's uh, got in his films, honestly. He plays a director who was, get this, big in the 70s and 80s. No, what? I know. He's got a girlfriend who is 33 years younger than he is. What are you saying? Yeah. And <laughs> she doesn't want to give up a spot in her acting role because she might meet Harvey Weinstein. What? Oh, no. I'm not making that up. Oh, no. That is a plot point in this film. Oh. Uh, but the main plot of this film is that the Woody Allen-esque director goes blind. So this is essentially Woody Allen directs Mr. Magoo because Gosh. he's trying to pretend to not be blind. And there's a lot of Mr. Magoo-esque hijinks. Oh, okay. Um, but there not, is one scene. Not what I'm expect like that require. I feel like that requires a physical comedian who's not 30 years past his physical comedian prime. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It was it was not a good film, but yeah, this is not something that would ever make me want to watch a Woody Allen film again. <laughs> uh, but there was one scene that I thought might speak to Woody Allen's soul that he's really trying to put on screen for us. If I trust a director to direct me, I trust him to make love to me. Is that you? I, oh, I, I no, really no, no, I'm not upset. I understand I just, this happens you know, if, if you know, on the set. If I act with a fine director like yourself, I there's nothing I wouldn't do sexually for him. So what do you think was going through Woody's Allen's mind when he wrote, directed, and starred in that scene? I, I, I just get tired of saying, before, before I ever knew who Ronan Farrow was, the evidence of Woody Allen's wrongdoing is in every one of his movies. Every yeah. single one. They are, almost all of them deal with the same topic. It's gross. And I don't know how people can still watch them. Um, mm. the, except for Manhattan Murder Mystery. How are you not going to watch Allen all the time? <laughs> it, so oh, if I were to go from the worst to the best, what film of his should Annie I watch? Hall. Annie Hall. Annie Hall? Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. That's, Annie Hall is one that's like, God Damn it! I can't. I can't say no to this movie. I can't get rid of it. I'm sorry. I, I'd love to just cancel everything, but I can't. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's sort of created a fourth wall breaking template for the way 
modern comedies are shot tonally, it's it's still kind of funny and doesn't always deal with an underage girl. But, you know, I yeah. never know exactly how old Woody Allen is. Anywho, moving on to the next, probably the biggest movie of the week, judging by this cast. <laughs> it is a great cast. <laughs> oh, I, I don't have to say it because the trailer does. It's Deuce is Wild. We're moving in over here. We made a battle to protect the neighborhood. Stephen Dorff, Fred Renfro, Larusa Balk, Frankie Muniz, Balthazar Getty. I run the deuces. I don't back down from nothing. Matt Dillon, Andrea DiMatteo, James Franco, Johnny Knoxville, and Norman Reedus. That's Viper's territory. I'll take care of him. This comes back to me. I don't know you. This Friday, two worlds will collide. Hey, I'm on my back again and I'll kill you. And things are going to get wild. Get all the guys down here now. Deuce is Wild. It's going down tonight. Rated R. Deuce is Wild. Wow. With a cast like that. Frankie Muniz and Johnny Knoxville? How can I lose? It's, oh, yeah. So this is, you know, uh, about a bunch of New Yorkers who are in a gang, see? And then the, the other gang, the Vipers, is trying to take over the turf. And, the, um, yeah. I, I don't get it. You know, the late 50s, early 60s was literally the most peaceful and crime-free period in American history. <laughs> like, statistically, if you go by statistics, there's never been a more peaceful, less criminal America than late 50s, early 60s. But by God, does Hollywood love to set <laughs> crime dramas in that period? It's like, well, I don't get it. It's it's just like... Well, it's also, it's kind of the height of the mob. So yeah. mob movies, it makes sense. You know, well, late 50s into the 60s or into the early 70s, really. Yeah, I mean, and I, I do love me a good period piece. And I do love, you know, people who wants to play stickpool. 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a bummer. It was it's like all these. 1% for, e for each uh, Sopranos cast member. Yeah. Like all, these, all these actors all deserve better. Like everybody, and it's the last movie by uh, John Alonso, the cinematographer, who's absolutely fucking legendary, and that makes me sad. Yeah, yeah it's from the director of the Basketball Diaries, so oh. I think we all would have expected more. Yeah, yeah, but that's probably the only movie that's out. Oh wait, lastly, number one at the box office: J.K. Simmons, Rosemary Harris, Cliff Robertson, uh, James Franco, Kirsten Dunst, Willem Dafoe, and Tobey Maguire. It's number one at the box office: Spider Man. <laughs> Whatever it is, somebody has to stop it. On May 3rd, with great power comes great responsibility. The entire world will be united. We'll always be there for you by a single thread of hope. Spider-Man, rated PG-13. I was there, and I was excited, and oh my yes, god. Uh I feel like this is such a big thing that we need to call in backup. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk about it for legal reasons, but I kind of have a ring from a sorcerer. Ooh. And I'm just going to wave my arms around and say, like, I need someone who can talk about Peter Parker. Ooh. Throw and, that oh, ass in a circle. Oh, shit. There's portals. Whoa. <laughs> Look at all the portals. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> what is this mysterious what? place in my own house? <laughs> Why am I? Why am I at a desk podcasting? Wow! What a terrible fate! Oh I my God! Answers. Two odd voices that aren't supposed to be here uh, assembled, if you were. Oh goodness! I'm glad I don't have to you talk about this alone. Answered my question. What? Do your job. Why am I here? Oh, why? I, that's my job. I'm just quoting Spider Man. I think it's I think it's hard to talk Spider Man without certain people and. 
especially because I watched the movie recently and I don't care for it very much. <laughs> really? <laughs> Whoa. But, yeah. Well, well, just it is about as long as another superhero movie we'll talk about in a moment. And it just takes for fucking ever. And more than anything, it's the worst. I, I rented it on Amazon with, uh, in 4K. It is the worst 4K transfer of anything that modern I have ever seen in my life. People's skin change colors like a season one fucking Simpsons episode. It's it's really bad. <laughs> it's astoundingly bad. Very grainy. Sorry, Spider Man. Who was here to tell uh, talk about Spider Man? Oh yeah. Hi, I'm Brett. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can name the human. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> I just we, teleported in to to listen to you complain about 4K transfer. We got <laughs> we got uh, Brett and Michael here to talk yes, about Michael. From Video Game Apocalypse. From Video Game Apocalypse to talk about Spitterman. But I but this is very much a movie I was waiting for, I mean, what felt like from when I was born and just uh, took forever. Because yeah. Yeah. they were trying to make it since about when mm-hmm. you were born. Uh, this yeah. sucker had been in development hell for 20 odd years. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I recall like I, I, I was a weirdo kid who would save not just receipts, but newspaper clippings uh-huh. of things that interested me. And back in the you know 80s and 90s to have a newspaper clipping that interested you was rare because yep. uh, it's like, <laughs> is it about Godzilla or video games? Then I don't want it. But there was some random clipping that my dad pointed out because, you know, we would see Terminator. We saw Terminator 2 in the theater opening weekend. My dad loved Arnold movies. So. Mm-hmm. He saw a thing that was like James, James Cameron's Cameron. trying to make a Spider-Man movie. And so I cut it out. And I think I still have it somewhere to this day. Some like USA Today article or something. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it at least goes back to like 92 for me. I, although I'm guessing Diana goes back. I know there were like it, 70s things that, ha- it, that did happen that weren't yeah, great. Yeah, for feature film stuff, the it is a really long and complicated we did a whole show about that's, it. that starts at the worst studio in the world and no. gradually moves up. <laughs> It starts uh, with Canon Films. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine if we would have gotten <laughs> Spider-Man the movie from Canon Films in right. the mid 1980s? Yeah, oh, I'd be almost uh, as good as Masters of the Universe or Superman Four. American Ninja Three. I I, be- I believe the the weird trivia here is that for a majority of our lives. It was Stanley's job to try and get a Spider-Man movie. That was his literal job. He was not writing comics. He was evangelizing Marvel and trying to get a, like Marvel Entertainment off the ground in Los Angeles. And yeah. that's how long it took. And I know it's like this damn it, mess. It, Yeah, it's a, it's a mess and it took forever and it took like, you know, there's the bankruptcy in the late 90s mm-hmm. or early 2000s, but like I feel like the the momentum of it starts thanks to of all things i mean it's like things blade. like men in black and blade mm-hmm. that were two obscure Ooh. comics that did very well at the box office uh 97 and 98 respectively and then that kind of gives them confidence i'm paraphrasing and shorthanding big time here but that gives them confidence for an x-men movie in 2000 yeah. and then that comes out to strong performance and that's i think what gives them the ultimate confidence i think they probably already maybe got Raimi on board by 2000. I can't remember when things started falling into place or when they cast Tobey Maguire, but mm-hmm. my yeah. impression little, was that was... Yeah. I think it's towards the end of 2000. I think Cider oh. House Rules is the oh. thing that Cider House sold Rules! Them. And okay. they went through every director on the planet was in talks for this sucker. David Fincher, Michael Bay. Oh, yeah. Alka Ang Lee before he did the Hulk movie. Like everyone. And the fact that they got to Sam Raimi... And they that is the biggest gamble out of all of this shit. Yeah, because he did evil dead. Yeah, rewatching it like and he 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 done he's a, bunch. a horror guy, but he's branched out in the years. Yeah, right he, before he made this, simple plan and a simple plan and for the love of the game. Mm-hmm. And but in two thousand two, that was so insane. 
I mean, yeah. the one-two punch of Peter Jackson being hired to do Lord of the Rings <laughs> and Sam Raimi being hired to do Spider-Man. To anyone in, like, <laughs> 1998, that would have seemed insane. Yeah, I and, suppose. And now that's just kind of the world we I, live in. Where the... I can attest that did seem insane. Like, Peter Jackson, the guy who did Meet the Feebles, he's going <laughs> to yes. be in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I saw the Frighteners, and I could clearly see the Lord of the Rings DNA in there. Yeah, and I'm the same way with, like, so Spider-Man's going to stomp on someone's head and their eyeballs gonna pop out and land in someone's mouth right that's how spider-man's gonna go <laughs> also also like, it's getting ahead but i did i did like Raimi getting to Raimi it up with doc ock in the second one there yeah. is like a that, that scene where he's the tentacles come alive it's right out of evil dead one thing re-watching spider-man 2002 for the first time in a long ass time and realizing there is a lot of horror in this movie yeah kind of way more horror i mean just basic body horror stuff of why am i shooting webs why are their hairs growing out of my hand mm. but most of the goblin stuff is it's just horror kind I mean, of obviously not gruesome but it's yeah. terrifying <laughs> yeah. uh, of course if you look around the internet you can find the alternate versions of the goblin that we didn't get mm -hmm. and a number of them look a lot more horror film than the goblin we got in this film. than the the power rangers villain of the week we got with willem Dafoe's <laughs> metallic yeah. goblin outfit i just I, the silly, recent spider-men have proved that Willem Dafoe's regular face is perfectly fine for a goblin <laughs> if you throw a purple hoodie on him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess leading up to this, like, I mean, I, yeah, it was like, whatever this weekend is in May of 02. Um, I mean, I'm like, me and my friend Josh, who's been on, you know, mm -hmm. throughout the years, uh, going back a while back, but on, whether it was VG Empire or, or Talk Radar or even um, well, Laser Time. There you go. I don't know why that one took a second. Uh, <laughs> but something time. No, we'll call it Laser Time. Uh, but we were like, I mean, grew up, you know, obsessed with Spider-Man comics. I mean, I've still got a long box to this day that is all my amazing Spider-Mans and spectacular Spider-Mans from back then, the full black costume run of that era, all that stuff. So this was like, oh my God, can they please stick the landing? Like the X-Men movie was good. Was it great? I don't, I don't know that I would even call it great back then. I saw it five times because it was just good. It was that's awesome. How starved, that's <laughs> yeah. how starved we were. It's like, oh, this was good. It wasn't embarrassing. <laughs> then I'll go see it five freaking times. And so Spider-Man was like, this seems a lot harder to get right because it's not an ensemble. You've got to get the one character right. And if you don't, like that's, that's the movie. Aside from a slightly perhaps occasionally too meek of a Peter Parker. What do you mean, man? At times. Oh. But uh, other than that, like the sensation of swinging, like that was, that was make or break the whole movie is like, can mm. you convince me, you know, Superman style? Can you, can you convince me a man can web sling? And, and they did it. And it, had it been made in the mid eighties with Canon, it would have looked like garbage mm -hmm. just because yeah. of the technology at the time. It would not have been convincing. So to go see this movie swing in like through the buildings, big and, and not to get into this, but it was also the first summer movie after nine 11. So yep. yeah, uh, there's yep. a lot of American flags flapping around in there and there's a total send off of him at the top. It of the ends the movie with patriotism, ends the movie with the flag <laughs> flapping. I mean, and, and there's a scene where a bunch of New Yorkers shout, if you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. And I do not believe that would have been in the film without 9-11. That, that yeah. seemed like a total and Some guy also yelling at the goblin. I, and every time I think, I'm misremembering this. Does someone yell at him, I got something for your ass? <laughs> no. is it jim norton no, it's on the bridge it's around the same time when he's they're like throwing like garbage throwing like beer bottles at the green goblin off the Brooklyn bridge or whatever which is oh. uh which is great but i swear someone's like i got something for you yeah yeah that happens <laughs> I, I could believe it i think it's kind of funny that i think the tr the original teaser trailer was probably the first oh pop culture victim of 9-11 yep. because yeah. that yep. was a 
wonderful teaser trailer. It, where as, it opens up, there's a bank robbery. I don't know what the hell movie they're talking about. Yep. And then helicopter takes off and then just moves backwards suddenly and you see it's caught in a web between the two towers and they're like spider-man yeah oh i care now you can still see it online it's it it, but it was taken out of theaters but in a time before internet-led news that was the biggest confirmation we had that the spider-man movie was actually happening that the twin towers trailer because they'd been talking about it since before i went through puberty and by the time i was paying taxes we finally got <laughs> we got the spider-man movie it took forever so i'm, I'm curious was there like a, any sort of live action version of spider-man prior to this like i know yes. about the japanese series i know about the electric company shorts but was there ever like an american tv series yes there was something in the 70s or 80s that i remember renting uh from like a local video store and it was because there was like a U.S. like there's like a Captain America TV movie, a Doctor yes. Strange TV mm-hmm. movie. And I swear it was kind of blurred in with all that. But I rented something as a kid. I don't I don't remember who starred in it. No one. But I'm pretty sure it was. It, was it, it existed. Some, yeah. Some, some guy. But it's like it's clearly he's just shooting like he's climbing ropes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the ropiest his webs have ever been. They are just white, white, yeah. white ropes. but i mean it's also it's a it's slightly jumping ahead but i mean this movie the era it's in is oh two it's still very much the summer movie formula where you Mm -hmm. have an accompanying soundtrack (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. which gave us the chad kroger saliva guy wasn't the second one forget his name no Mm -hmm. this is hero Oh, it's in this one? Great karaoke yeah. song. It's in this one, which a karaoke staple to this day. And then I was thinking, like, is Spider-Man 3 the last movie that, because there was a Spider-Man 3 soundtrack, there's like a brand new killer song and a brand new this and a brand new that that's in that, like, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin style where we're <laughs> debuting new music through this album. And it was music, very common. Music from and inspired yeah, by. And inspired. I, I mean, Always yeah. love that because I imagine them showing a rough cut to <laughs> Snoop Dogg. How do you feel about <laughs> to it? some forty one? Like, <laughs> and so filter road trip like I do after seeing this trailer for Spawn, <laughs> and that's what happened. That's actually, yes. Brett. Every time I make a comment about how there are no more movie soundtracks, I get a lot of snide comments from people like from someone who's still into music. There's tons of movie soundtracks that still happen. I'm, I'm and, sure I'm I'm not the audience. I, I'm old. I'm seventy four years old. It doesn't even matter. I don't listen. It's to just it's just difficult than... to to know since it's just easier to buy song by song. Like I can make yeah, my own soundtrack yeah. anytime. Uh, I didn't even know that Wiz Khalifa song was part of the Fast and the Furious soundtrack. I just thought it was on the movie. So yeah, those seem like they would be very appropriate for yeah. that. And maybe they actually are. And I'm just and I'm just missing. We just that. don't know that. All those yes, movies. But like Doctor Multiverse of Madness. Where's the like you know if this was 20 years ago, the yeah. marketing machine part of that was yeah. your album of music inspired by, yeah. but featuring um, blah blah by Link. Biscuit. Yeah. yeah. Swing okay. time by Taylor Swift. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> but, uh, well, actually, I mean, speaking of Taylor Swift, we had that for Hunger Games, you know, like a month ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're still doing that. Okay. I mean, they, they did it for Deadpool 2 as sort of a joke with Celine Dion. That was the uh, last time I remember, like, something making mainstream news. Thinking of things that they don't do so much anymore as far as comic book movies go, because this was like the first, the X Men movie got a little heat at the time because, oh, sure we didn't like change their powers to be something that mainstream audiences would understand it's like no wolverine's claws come out of his hand and mm-hmm. cyclops still shoots beams out of his eyes and gene gray's telekinetic whatever but oh but the x-men movie it's like but they're all in black leather because the matrix is popular or whatever their costumes <laughs> would be too far so it's like okay why does magneto wear a helmet uh to protect him from professor x's crazy powers not because it looks cool and it's like okay but then <laughs> 
get into the Spider-Man movie, and it's like, no, 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 we're gonna have this the costume, and he's gonna shoot webs, and Goblin's gonna have a glider, but we got to well, explain some of this stuff. We can't just have this stuff happen. That's so, that's yeah. my my webs, biggest uh, not because he's a super smart prodigy scientist kid, which is part of his core character, but because he just shoots webs out of his hands now. No, like, I know it, this is. I know this is very up for debate with lots of people. I know a lot of Spider-Man fans, not not a big into this. I know it was a joke in No Way Home, which I really appreciated. I think organic web things make more sense than that he can build them. Me, and I really like it. I remember, Diana, I was like, I'm not going to complain one second about this because we got a Spider-Man movie. Oh, sure. <laughs> and I, I, di- I never really cared. And because my biggest problem in watching this movie, again, we watched another tentpole superhero movie this week this takes one hour to explain why the property exists and it's infuriating in a 2002 format and the other film we're gonna talk about had five six films to set itself up this had nothing to set it up yeah this had people remembering that cheesy 1960s Spider-Man cartoon, (laughs) or maybe Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And, you know, if you think about it, this the last comic book movie to have the colorful optimism of a 1960s comic book was literally the 1960s Batman movie. All Mm -hmm. other comic book (laughs) movies between that and this one were going for the more dark 89 Batman. Batman. Um, and Blade and so forth, and even the X-Men with their black leather. This is wearing its comic book heart on its sleeve to a degree we had not seen in 2002. True. Yeah. And, 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 maybe, maybe outside of like the Donner first Superman, maybe. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's yeah. at least the John Williams score and all that. Like, But I mean, even that's like 30 years prior to this or something. Yes. Right. Years. Yeah, it's, it's like a lifetime. And the series For will get broody. person, I guess. That's not a lifetime. And again, again my, my, <laughs> the, the, the 4K transfer is a, was a legitimate complaint because it really highlights all the effects. It creates a glow outside of every green screen effect oh, that you, I never noticed before. It's it's truly abysmal and a terrible way for Sony to treat one of its the biggest movies in its catalog. Yeah. No, it, it's... I feel like the second one, the effects do upgrade a bit, but even for the first one, it was, yeah, this... Like, Adam, someone, I've never read the com- I've never read a Spider-Man comic in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the idea, the the sort of visceral feeling of, yeah, this is what it'd be like to swing down Madison Avenue over the, the taxis mm-hmm. and everything was sort of like, yeah, they did a good job. I think they do a really nice job transitioning every time it's Tobey Maguire in a suit going to a digital Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. That, they do that pretty nicely. I, I think the that's... choreography's good. I, I don't like to, to dump on old effects because, you know, they were the best effects available at the time. But it's like, yeah. you'll notice... As Spider-Man moves forward, there's a lot of shots of Maguire's face when he's swinging because there is a kind of a wild disconnect. Every time Tobey Maguire's on camera, the camera's bolted to the ground. Every time Spider-Man swings, the camera is a CG weather balloon. It can go anywhere. And I I just, there was always a disconnect, even as in 2002, when... He, Spider-Man swings, he's a cartoon. When he's on the ground, he's Tobey Maguire. And they start taking his mask off later in the movies to help bridge that a little bit better because it's still... I just remember them like, what took so long? Like, the technology wasn't ready for Spider-Man. I'm like, it still yeah, yeah, wasn't it ready. This still doesn't look yeah. real. Can I get to the casting, though? Oh, they yeah. Did yeah, such please. a good job. Mm-hmm. I mean, as one of these, like, every actor between 20 and 30 was up for this. DiCaprio was almost attached when it was James Cameron. You your Freddie Prince Jr. was in there. You get like everybody. And yeah, I appreciate that Toby Maguire, who's like an act 
actor. Like he's good and but he's he's known, but he's not super known. Like he's done mm-hmm. Pleasantville and Cider House Rules, but those are like kind of indie movies. They're, they're not blockbusters. And then you throw him in this, and this is the first movie to make a hundred million dollars in its opening weekend. Right. I uh, I remember at the time there was a lot of concern about Toby Maguire. A lot mm-hmm. of people thought that he could nail the Peter Parker aspect, but they were really worried about the Spider-Man aspect. Yeah. And you can find it online. He did some test shoot where it's just him being a total badass to me he's always going to be either the best spider-man and peter parker or the second best it's close well in 2002 that's the other thing i am grading on a curve we could have had urkel peter parker (laughs) that was the concept of a nerd in 2002 i believe could have totally had this really annoying nerd peter parker not someone with the heart that toby gives the character to show the passage of time, I believe every time Toby Maguire would uh, get a little uppity and talk about, I'm not going to do the role again. They had like Jake Gyllenhaal waiting in the wings. He was mm-hmm. always on standby to pick up the role of Peter Parker <laughs> from Spider-Man 1 on. And he doesn't get to join the Marvel Universe until years later where he's too old to play any hero and has to play the villain. Uh, Mysterio. But yeah, it, I, I like the weird echo in that. That he's like in in that movie, he's like a replacement Tony Stark mm-hmm. when he was supposed to be the replacement Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, like you said, the casting. J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons mm. is amazing. Oh, yeah, mm. oh, I mean, there's never been a human who has <laughs> been a comic book character as much as that pairing at all. My my so, my sla- so sort of least favorite now. It's nice to see an Aunt May that is closer to the age that she is in the comics, but it also, this is a very small nitpick. These are p- middle-class people raised in Queens, and they're like, we'll find a way to survive, Peter, we always do. Like, that's not a Queens accent. That is, <laughs> that is, that is like, you sound like Emmett Otter's mom. Yeah, there's, there's very much a, a failing dairy farm. Yeah, yes, like the farm we will. Very it's like, Have you been to? I mean, I'm not. Have you I heard mean, the former Western? But like, have you been to New York? Have you heard the former like, president talk? It's very strange, and he doesn't oh, sound is, like this is a Connecticut neighborhood here in Queens. <laughs> well, if I'm Little Hartford. <laughs> it, 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 it peppers a bunch of other people who will go on to become stuff later in the movies. Uh, James Franco. James Fra- I don't remember seeing James Franco in anything but Freaks and Geeks at this point, so I was kind of excited. And, and I, I, he's he's great as, as Harry. Like, yeah. the Harry Osborn-Peter Parker pairing is very important. Like, mm-hmm. had they really paid it off in any meaningful way instead of what they did. But having him as New Goblin is fine, but it's more like, uh, he could have done... So in the comics, he becomes another Green Goblin because Harry Norman dies and then comes back in a very long, long winded way. Uh, but the hope was he would just straight up become a New Goblin or, hey, twist it a little, have him become Hobgoblin or something. Just do something. Instead, it was like, here I am on a hoverboard with goggles and it wasn't quite what you wanted. But I still liked how he played Harry. Like, I think Harry living in the shadow of his father... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. always being wishing he could live up to how Peter is perceived by his own father. Like you, you could really feel that tension in this movie. And then it got a little more cartoonish as the movies go on with the, no, he, the you're right. and all that. I think they do a really amazing job at character building in just a few lines. Like mm-hmm. when JJ is attacked by the green goblin and says, I don't know where these pictures came from. Boom. Instantly. This guy is a human being. He cares about his employees, even if he's a jerk. There's the scene where Mary Jane comes out of her uh, house 
and her father is yelling at her, you're trash, you'll always be trash. And then uh, she's very sad. She's opening up on an emotional level. And then Flash shows up in a new car and she instantly puts on the party girl persona. And that mm -hmm. tells us, the audience, that no, the party girl persona is her coping mechanism to deal with all the trauma she's going through. And there's numerous scenes like that in this film that just bring us into the world of these characters. Yep. This is a heck of a year for David Kep, the screenwriter. He just yeah. did Panic Room. Wow. <laughs> and before that, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah, it's just a Harry Potter movie. film in there. Like, Jesus Christ, yeah. how much can any writer have more money than him? Anybody? <laughs> I just don't know. Any screenwriter. Uh, but yeah, I don't mean to dump on the movie too much. It's it just like it is what we talked about earlier. It is not it is like The Matrix. It's very unsure if a mass audience is going to uh, accept this premise. And it mm -hmm. turns out we do. And th that real criticism belongs to the amazing Spider-Man one, which just retells this story wholesale even longer in like 2012. And then that is when was amazing Spider-Man date master. Oh, date master. I think it was 2012, 2012. It's super yeah. annoying there. We all know now the zeitgeist knows who Peter Parker is. We don't need to see this again. And they show it to us all anyway. And outside of a, maybe a homophobic slam on the macho man, Randy Savage, <laughs> everything hold everything else holds up pretty okay in the film. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. I, and yeah, in, in context, like I definitely left that theater. I mean, I was in love. Yeah, it no. was, you know, it wasn't like it was the thing you've waited for your at that point. I was 21, but it's like I have waited most of my waking life hoping mm -hmm. there would be a, a movie worthy of Spider-Man and to see it happen. And mm -hmm. again, to, to just the bar was so low. It's like to just walk out and not be embarrassed is the bar. Like that's all it is. <laughs> Because even even Batman movies that we liked, you know, by eventually we're all sitting through Batman and Robin on opening weekend, being like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, I guess this was silly, but and maybe that was the point." But that's not uh, what I wanted from yeah. a Batman movie, okay? And then there's just no no superhero movies uh, for forever. And mm -hmm. then, well, I guess it's really only one year because Men in Black was the same year. But anyway, I yeah, left to, to just put a point on it. Like, left absolutely pleased with that movie. Bought it on DVD the day it came out, like however many months later. Mm -hmm. um, collector's edition, long rectangular box thing that they had of him on top of the building. Like, was super happy. And I think I saw it at least one or two more times. Um, yeah. And then when oh, when the second one came out in 04, like, I loved, I, I think I like Spider-Man 2 even more just because Doc yep. Ock is yeah. so yes. flipping good. Absolutely. A little yeah. saggy in the middle, but like. I, I, that's that's perhaps the only movie outside of maybe Infinity War in my life. Maybe a little bit of Pacific Rim, but uh, Spider-Man 2 literally sat on the edge of my seat. I was sitting forward when the credits started, and it's all this Alex Ross art flying by. Mm -hmm. I did not lean back in my chair for the rest of the movie. I was <laughs> so excited for that entire movie. Was um, this the all start this of the flashing comic books for the Marvel I think so, intro? yes. I think so. I don't know if the X-Men films did that, but uh, it's such a great attention-grabbing intro to just show you these characters have been around for decades, and yep. we're going to finally bring them to life to you. Uh, I was living in Japan at the time, and I had one week in which to uh, visit America, and I picked a week in which I could see spider-man just because i was living in a small town with no movie theaters and i desperately wanted to see it in that full movie going experience opening weekend experience surrounded by people who had loved this material and like me had probably waited decades to see it on screen and in a 2002 context it absolutely blew me away gave me everything i wanted i did not have a single criticism coming out of this film in 2002 yeah that's kind of where i was and and, and i i wonder I, I just assumed they would have shown it in japan because like uh 
of all the Marvel characters, the awareness of Spider-Man was at the time. They did, but it was an hour and a half train ride to get to my nearest movie theater. I was Oof. deeply rural. Japan. I'm just, I'm just once uh, again plugging that Disney Plus series six one six about the most in depth documentary I've ever seen about the Japanese Spider-Man. It is excellent, and it was one of my favorite things I saw last year on television. Watch that. Watch that. Piss. Oh, I'll check it out. And uh, yeah. and uh, like uh, I think Men in Black really helped Sony get off the fence about finally making a Spider-Man movie. And the stat I love from this is Marvel was in such a bad state. They offered like, well, why don't you just take the whole, every Marvel character for another $20 million? And Sony's like, I don't know, every access to every Marvel character in perpetuity at 20 million. I don't think, I believe behind the scenes, Disney offered Sony a billion to relinquish Spider-Man's yeah, characters back into Disney. Oof. And Sony turned them down. 25 years ago for $20 million for all of yeah. Marvel uh, licensing. Yeah. And yeah, now Sony's in a weird spot with the, with the, the contract on the character where I think it's, they, they have to make a movie every five years. The only thing that explains right. Morbius. Yeah. That, yeah. But, <laughs> but it's, Morbius a, sweep. it's a horrible <laughs> problem for the Sony executives because what they have to do is every time a Marvel Spider-Man movie makes a billion dollars, they have to go to their bosses and say, uh, so what's your business plan? Our business plan is to give this character to people who are competent because we are so incompetent that with one of the biggest brands on the planet, we are guaranteed to mess it up. So let's <laughs> give part of our money to other people who are good at their jobs instead of us. Should we, should we move on? Because we have plenty of other superhero crap to talk about. Uh, Diana, I got to know. Uh -huh. As an editor, yeah. how is J.J. Jamison? Oh, he would have been sued by his employees. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, he's he's uh, abusive and harassing them. Uh, <laughs> poor Elizabeth Banks and her terrible pussycat wig. She, mm. I feel bad for her because she she read for. Uh, oh my god! I thought that was Parker Posey. No. Oh my god! No, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Banks. Banks. She read for it. And they decided she was too old, and they gave her a consolation prize of getting screamed at. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, the Bring It On girl is going to get the cool part. Two other things I do want to say about this before we move on is it took 156 takes for Tobey Maguire to catch the lunches because that was not done oh, yeah. CGI. God damn. Um, yeah. That's great. That's crazy. I'm watching that and seeing, oh, wait, there's lines to that scene, too. It's not just do the catch and the take is over. It's like, no. Oh, that's another oh, good point. Uh, really quick, like we talked about the web slinging and stuff, mm -hmm. but and this is where... Uh, it definitely gets on my nerves in movies and comics do this too, but the spider sense, like right. mm. the, the fun of when comic characters were coming into visual medium, uh, motion mediums, whether it was animation or, or live action was seeing how their powers would translate from a page to motion. And that first time you really see when flash takes the swing at spider at Parker, mm -hmm. who's, who's you know not facing him but they just kind of show the like almost three-dimensional view he has there's like a fly buzzing over here but then he can he can see quote unquote the fist coming at the back of his head <laughs> and he dodges it and it's like just that but to show visually like how he experiences that what it might be like because as a kid i read the comics and i just imagine oh mm -hmm. is it like because they say oh he kind of it's all it, it's borderline telekin uh telepathy or or um, he, he ESP, has, ESP, but he has it's, lines it, come out. Yeah, it's head. visually conveyed the same <laughs> yeah, way yeah, they yeah. show Tanactin soothing athlete's foot. Yeah. So. <laughs> the wavy lines, it's sometimes bad. you see him half masked, half unmasked. Oh, yeah. 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 But those wavy lines, those are so good. And you're mm -hmm. just like, I get it. 
but then to have it come through in a movie it's like that's so good and then of course it's hard to then show a movie character who can never get hit basically never get hit by anything and there's just a couple of swings that goblin gets him with that i'm like buddy i could have dodged that i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> like where did where did spider sense go but that's how the character has been for 60 years it's right. like where was his spider sense uh um, oh well he... Turns out he doesn't have spider sense. He has Joe Manganiello sense. <laughs> he can see that guy coming. His first screen uh, roll. Uh, don't I don't recognize him with without facial hair. It's just like yeah, I have to like think about it for a minute. But they're making a third one. What? A Magic Mike. Yay! Oh. <laughs> right, Magic see? Mike XXL is the best movie of the decade. The kiss upside down in the rain. I feel oh, like that. Yes became a moment you know That's like so being on the titanic yeah. or luke i am your father it it really lived on in pop culture immortality mm. but if you unpack it a little bit at that moment mary jane is dating norman osborne she is also heavily flirting with peter parker and she doesn't know that peter parker is spider-man so at that moment she's kind of playing three guys all at once and she I mean, treats if I got a chance to make out with Spider-Man. Like, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> if I'm Mary Jane sitting there, it's like, hey, this doesn't count. I, I, I need someone <laughs> younger to speak on this, but uh, it seems this is a terrible thing to bring up. But Mary Jane treats kisses like sex. Ooh, not this week. Uh, backs off and plays real, like just 1940s. Never, not right now. We're only 22. We shan't kiss on the, <laughs> on the third date. It's and oh, then we haven't been married and renewed our vows yet. <laughs> it's it's it felt a little old timey. There's a, there's a lot of things, a lot of eye rolling moments in here that aren't necessarily That don't mean the movie's not good. It just doesn't hold up as well as I think the X Men, the first two X Men movies, Blade One, and most of the MCU. Because that 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 was the MCU is where I get full wish fulfillment as a young comic reader, and uh, but but this was good enough, and I I don't want to shit on Spider Man One because it's it's yeah. the best it could have been in two thousand two. Starts a yeah, it starts an avalanche that you know this gives them full confidence because they're like okay, Daredevil's oh three, Spider Man two is oh four. Um, we get two Fantastic Four movies after that, and then it all like kind of leads towards Iron Man and oh eight where they. Marvel takes it back. Which still, it, it just, I still find it amazing that we have Iron Man and Doctor Strange movies and that they're oh, fucking yeah. popular in billboards. There's, there's, there's a Moon Knight series. There's a Moon Knight yeah. series. What are, what are you talking about? Oh, God. Okay. It's just so weird. Years ago, I would have been like, you're, why would you go back in time just to lie to me? That seems like such a waste of, <laughs> a waste of yeah. antimatter to just come it, troll me like this. To, to me, it's telling me that Guardians of the Galaxy movies have grossed. Yeah. In the billions. Yeah. That's just like okay, yeah, right. Time yeah, right. We got, Scorsese's going to win an Oscar. Bleh. We have to move on to the rest of the show. And well, Brett, I'll just go. Oh, okay, fair enough. Throw that ring in a circle. Do you All want? Right. Wave my hands. My yeah. Sorcerer stuff. Okay. Yeah. Go away. No, no. I'm gonna, and thank you, Brett. We're moving the television 2002, April 29th through uh, May 5th. The Simpsons, the sweetest Apu. Uh, having Apu have eight children really limited his storylines if you look at all the stories he did before he had kids he was doing wacko crazy stuff all the time he went to india you know he lost the quickie mart but once he had eight kids every joke was just about how hard it is to have eight kids mm -hmm. so this is the episode where they kind of get him towards divorcing but then pull away and and keep him in it they have him um, have an affair don't they yeah, he has a full-on affair. He absolutely cheats on the mother of his eight children. Played by Jen Hooks. Mm -hmm. I think there were a couple times she wasn't, but mm. mostly. There, yeah. 
There's also a brief subplot of a civil war reenactment where Homer makes an offer to Barney. Come on, Barney, if you're going to be General Grant, you have to have a drink. Yeah, but I'm a recovering alcoholic, so one drink won't hurt. Hey, you're right. I was afraid it would start me drinking again, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that ends it. That's it. <laughs> Forgot this is this is like my least favorite period of Simpsons, goddamn. But uh speaking of my least favorite things, Jay Leno. Tonight's show with Jay Leno is having its tenth anniversary special. Jesus. Which is a lie. This is about a month early, as we're gonna see. Uh mm. I, I have no idea why they were like desperate to have his tenth anniversary a month before the actual case, but they did it. Uh, yeah. Let's see how much has changed in the last 10 years. You realize how long ago it was? Back in 92, listen to this. George Bush was president of the United States. Gas was almost $2 a gallon. There was a war in the Middle East. Look how far we've come in a decade. Oh, Jay, every time. He gets me every time. 10 years of Jay Leno. Almost. Yeah, we te- I teased this at the beginning because I watched Frasier, I thought, but I never heard of this episode. How is that possible? Really? Yeah. Uh, I would have thought they would have advertised it up the wazoo. Well, I think it, at this point, I probably, you know, I'm living on my own. I, I think I was watching that mostly at my parents' house. But uh, Frasier Cheerful Goodbyes, uh, where Frasier goes back to Boston and reunites with the Cheers gang. Who sits out? <laughs> Kirstie well, Alley? they got most people. They got mm-hmm. Real Pearlman, George Went, John Ratzenberger, Christie Alley, and... No Woody. No Woody. Woody. Yeah. No, but Woody, Woody'd guessed it before... Mm. Uh, and Ted Danson both guessed it on Frasier. Yeah. That so. uh, but it, this, I thought this was the last appearance of any Cheers character, but apparently no, in 2019, they appeared on an episode of The Goldbergs. So I haven't <laughs> been able to track that down, but I guess canonically, that's the last appearance of the Cheers crowd. But this episode has Cliff Clavin retiring from being a postman and accidentally being convinced to not move down to Florida, which pisses off people because they were really looking forward to him leaving, which is really sad when you think about it, because his entire social network was like, yeah, would really be better if you weren't around. Oddly enough, maybe hanging out at a bar is not the best social network for people. Just maybe. Not a single scene in the Frasier apartment. One of the only (laughs) times that's happened, considering how many... There's so many episodes of Frasier where they never leave the apartment. Yeah, it's a play. I mean, yeah. Frasier is the should-be-a-play sitcom. I know. They just just imagine the smell of an old man living in an apartment he never leaves. Sorry, apologies to John Mahoney. This week also on Nickelodeon, uh, Donovan Patton replaces Steve Burns, the second host of Nick Jr.'s live-action animated children's television series, Blue's Clues. And over the last uh, 20 years, he was eventually replaced. And now they are planning a Spider-Man No Way Home, all three Blues Clues hosts getting together movie. I feel like they've been doing it all year. They're in a bunch of clips together. It's so weird that I never watch Blues Clues because I'm like in my 20s. Yeah. And yet that video that Steve did about like, I never forgot about you made me fucking you're up. Yep. I have no emotional connection to Blue's Clues in the slightest, but that made me tear up. Yeah, yeah. my kids haven't even watched it, but I, I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and former children's show hosts have to have more interesting stories than Death to Smoochie. They just right. do. And yeah, sort of and uh, what the, the rumor was, what, the, the Steve died of a heroin overdose or something? <laughs> yeah, there's always crazy rumors like crazy. that. Yeah, it no. was... We've seen him back in the universe. Yeah. 
nestled in his Tobey Maguire role. Two shows end this week. What is this, the uh, end of the 90s, perhaps? Dharma and Greg ends, which I always find remarkable as a show that left no cultural footprint despite being talked about in its first few seasons repeatedly. It was like the best new show of the year. And just like, I think it maybe didn't make syndication numbers quite uh, like four seasons or something like that. Jenna Elfman's a, a comedy God. And then just like Tarman and Greg never heard anything else about it. Really haven't. Um, yeah, I, I don't get it. They were canceled abruptly. Mm-hmm. So there's no like, amazing ending no wrapping up of storylines uh this episode ends with two wildly divergent people having conversations about how their different childhoods would affect their parenting which is absolutely a conversation people should have before having kids but it's nothing dramatic and it's nothing that couldn't easily been carried on to a next season but there were 119 episodes that's syndication number i i don't know why it just faded away but i feel you're yeah, right it was like watching an old episode of family guy and they had like a dharma and greg cutaway and like i kind of had to like use my brain just to like oh yeah i guess that was popular enough at one point to make a family guy joke about that that it lasted way longer than yep. the memory of the show yeah, uh, but then the co-creator is chuck Lorre, and of course uh, his next show is two <clears throat> and a half men it's true speaking of sheen's yeah. spin city ends i believe with sheen in the lead role yeah charlie sheen taking over after uh Michael J. Fox retired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the series started as a way to get Michael J. Fox back on television. And I feel like this show also went down the memory hole. I, I think yeah. I, I've seen more positive things in recent years, but I think, but a lot of that has to do with like, it has a huge ensemble cast mm. and that are of, of a bunch of, Hey, it's that guy yeah. people in good roles. Yeah. It had, it was a, like an all ringer cast mm-hmm. from uh, Barry Bostwick, Connie Britton, Alan Ruck, Alan Ruck Richard Kine, Carla Cugino is on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jennifer Esposito. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, I start looking at the cast list and it's like, Oh my God. And then, yeah, there's another guy. It's a, uh, you know, co-created by uh, Bill Lawrence who's doing scrubs. So he and- did okay. 20 years ago this week, uh, Nicktoons TV launches in the United States, which just seems so unprecedented. I was so excited because I could go to my parents' house and finally see more episodes of Invader Zim, <laughs> other than the, the 280p versions I was pirating via Kazaa. But I love the Nicktoons so much, and I it just feels bizarre that within 10 years, Nickelodeon made so like about a Nick, Nicktoon every year, if not more, <laughs> and had enough episodes to fill a channel. Still does. I, I don't know what their programming looks like now. Should have looked. They can't channel Grift. You can't start you can't start playing <laughs> reruns of the Goldbergs on Nicktoons TV. Wolf Lake ends. That's a show I don't remember. So it's a will they or won't they romance with the added spice of will they or won't they turn into werewolves? Uh. <laughs> Would they? I, I don't think it was ever answered. I think it got canceled too soon. Uh, and then uh, Dark Angel ends, and Jessica Alba's Reign of Terror is over. If we're talking about the end of the 90s, yeah, you're talking about you know the Xena and Buffy-inspired ass-kicking female stars of the 1990s. Dark Angel was absolutely in that vein. Uh, it starred baby Jessica Alba in what I still think is her most famous role. I think it has to be. Or, or, I just remember the I, hype on this. It's created by James, James Cameron is James coming Cameron. to TV. James Cameron's got an amazing thing. James Cameron! And I got it confused with the Alita Battle Angel because he had been trying to adapt that as far back as 
back then, I'm like, is this the thing? Yeah, and... this was him giving up on adapting that and just trying something. Um, so it's about a genetically engineered super soldier, which is baby Jessica Alba, and set in a post-apocalyptic Seattle. Definitely ha was trying to be live-action anime before that was remotely possible on television mm -hmm. to give you an idea of how crazy it got um she has feline dna as part of her super soldier package mm -hmm. so her character can and does go into heat <laughs> and just begins like spraying all over the couch actually assaulting <laughs> people but it's cool because they're dudes yeah it's just good yeah okay that's not what <laughs> so little time ends that is actually the name of a show not that this segment so little time don't know anything about that one it's mary kate and ashley olsen in their final foray mm. as child actors they deal with trials and tribulations as teenagers going to classes at malibu high school spending time with family and of course boys boys and then that, i'm guessing at some point they say what the fuck are we doing we're both billionaires let's quit this yeah. stupid show oh i want to take another yeah. studio meeting again and then uh lastly games of 2002 the resident evil remake on uh gamecube which is kind of the first time that happened for resident evil and definitely won't be the last but this was awesome I yeah i uh the improved graphics at this point, significantly made it a better game. The lighting and shadow just makes it creepier on the GameCube than you had ever played it before. I never thought the original Resident Evil wasn't silly. And this is like the first one that let me feel the fear because it was just always origami goofiness. And, and then, uh, yeah, I believe, I think they re-released this re re remake hd so it's been this even this has been remade and rejiggered and released on consoles and this was the first time i ever heard of the elder scrolls this week uh with oh. the release of morrowind elder scrolls 3 to pc this is the big breakout for bethesda game they had come out with games before but this was the huge awesome seller that really allowed them to make the games they're known for earlier when i was saying combine ultima stygian abyss uh, with ultima 7 they did that's what morrowind is it is still considered an amazing game by elder scrolls fans mm -hmm. if you want in-depth discussion of this games there are a bajillion of them but morrowind analysis a quick retrospective is a video on youtube seven hours 53 wow. minutes long and it is not joking it's not like 10 minutes of text and then a joke it talks for that entire seven hours and 53 minutes i didn't listen to the whole thing but it's out there it's real and that's how much people care about this game it's a game that really doesn't end. You can play it so long, just a ridiculous amount of time. And every time you restart a game, it can be different. Yeah, that's, um, it's, it's the first game I, I feel like I remember, single player game, I remember people hitting like 100 hours with no complaints of repetition. Mm -hmm. Like it, it just, I think it's hilarious to remember for me, but like my buddy had an Xbox and like, look what they let you do. You can rip your own music off of a CD and then play it in Morrowind. So he's like, you know, listening to like fucking real big fish inside, <laughs> inside Morrowind. Ridiculous. But for those of you who have only played Skyrim, this video clip explains the differences between the two games the best. Take this game, but beware it carries a terrible curse. 
Ooh, that's bad. You can jump anywhere, and the game isn't restricted. That's good. The game isn't fully voice acted. That's bad. The game has tons of weapons, such as spears and throwing stars. That's good. You will miss most of the time, as you need to level up your weapon proficiency. That's bad. The game has tons of factions for you to join. That's good. You can't join them all, though. That's bad. There's no quest markers in the game, so you have to use your geography skills you learned in school to help you. That is bad. Can I go now? <laughs> I didn't play it all. That was good. Well, that, that about wraps up our 2002 segment. We're going to have to close out with the immortal theme from the first Spider-Man movie, Chad Kroger and Guy from Saliva's Hero. Always a karaoke banger for me. And uh, the bombast. An, the wings a, of an eagle. You can't sing this song without holding up your hands like you're holding small rocks. Uh, you have to do it like that. Hand over your heart. It is... Even more than Vanessa Carlton, the song that makes me laugh the most. This song is ridiculous. <laughs> and we're going out with it. But don't go away. We're not even done with Marvel talk yet. All the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner, where we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth the watching. And for the week of April 29th through May 5th, happy Cinco de Mayo, we've got two fun anniversaries. 40 years ago this week in 1982, saw the release of Flock of Seagulls' debut album. So I ran, which is also a banger karaoke song that everyone loves, no matter how dumb Flock of Seagulls are. That turns 40 this week, so yeah. 82 actually we have like the next couple weeks we've got a couple really good albums coming out and then actual film recommendation 75 years ago this week 1947 saw the release of black narcissus written and directed by michael powell and Amber pressburger starring uh deborah carr sabu flora robinson i think gene simmons is in there which is a strange movie uh for 1947 in particular because it's kind of a psychodrama it's about these nuns that live in this incredibly isolated fortress in the Himalayas and how they they kind of start going a little nutty pants. You know, <laughs> they like repression starts to get to them and, and they have like all kinds of like inner conflict with their beliefs and, and their isolation and locals. It's, it does not portray, you know. Hindus or Pakistanis or N Nepalese or anybody like especially well it does have Sabu who's at least actually an Indian guy yeah there's some brown face going on but better than you'd expect from a 1947 British movie I'd say but mostly it is stunning it is one of the most striking beautiful movies you will ever see even though a lot of it is matte paintings I mean they're way up on cliffs and Technicolor is really rich and it makes everything feel just sort of like more charged and erotic even though they're nuns and they shouldn't have those feelings. And ah, yeah. So uh, Black Narcissus from 1947. Uh, that's my recommendation. Even though, you know, of course, it's a little bit problematic. I, I never get an explanation for one thing that bothers me so much in this movie, which is why are their horses so small? Everyone rides ponies that are like 
We're practically sitting on little Sebastian. I don't get it. I'm sure there's a very good reason. I need to look into it. So if that distracts you too, let me know. Anyway, that was a weird aside. Black Narcissus from 1947. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2012 with Prophecy of the Laser Witch by Brendan Small off of Galacticon. I, I, I have not heard of this. I love Brendan Small. I know. That's probably why I uh, threw it in. He, he wrote his own little metal opera. Yeah. Uh, separate from anything from Metalocalypse. And home movies. Yeah. Also great good. music. Welcome to 2012, April 29th to the 5th. Here's some other news, mu- new music releases for you. Fear Fun by Father John Misty. Strange Clouds by B.O.B. Blown Away by Carrie Underwood. Country God or the Girl by Kanan, uh, Little Broken Hearts by Noah Jones, All or Nothing by Pennywise, and Strange Land by Keen. Somebody I used to know by Gutier is still number one. 2012 news! Guggenheim Partners make the largest ever purchase of a sports franchise by buying the Los Angeles Dodgers for $2.1 billion. What? Ah. There's widespread commentary that they overpaid for this, but this is one of those things where it wasn't about the money, it was about ego. You know, at the end of the day, they wanted to own the Los Angeles Dodgers. And even though it didn't make sense at this price point, they wanted to own the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like mm. Over half of what Star Wars got. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. At 120th the value of Twitter somehow. <laughs> the entire L.A. Dodgers. You just enraged uh, Dodgers Twitter. Look forward to that time. I probably did. Actually, I mean, it's fun that this all comes around because my friend's father had tickets to a Dodger game when the LA riots broke out. We were going to go. He, like, got it through work. He's like, hey, kids, you want to go to a Dodger game? And we were like, sure, whatever. Okay, that's not happening. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, they canceled a bunch of games because, you know, fire. Speaking of fire, the scream, the painting from Norwegian painter, uh, Edvard Munch sells at auction for $120 million. Is that still the record? It was the record at the time. I don't know if it has been broken. Yeah, because, I, I mean, obviously paintings like this don't go up for sale very often. For, for most of the ones you have heard of, mm-hmm. it's, like, illegal to sell. Yeah. Like, those are considered national treasure. It has been broken. Oh. The new record is hold by Salvador Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci, for $450 million. That is a significant vesting. Oh, goodness. But I, I haven't heard of Salvatore Mundi. Have either of you? No. No. I, uh, I really think it's just his name uh, yeah. that makes it worth and that it's, much. Uh, it's a full-color Da Vinci portrait. Or yeah. Painting. yeah. All right. Movies of 2012. Now that we've settled this painting business. Uh, April 29th through May 5th. Get the Gringo. Starring Mel Gibson, Kevin Belmore, Daniel... Jimenez Cacho. It's it's completing our problematic trio in every segment we gotta go. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This didn't even go to theaters in the US. This went to VOD. Yeah. And people are like, Yep, that's where Mel Gibson lives now. We've all decided. And then somehow we just stopped deciding that and I'm not okay with it. He hasn't directed anything though since Hacksaw Ridge, right? 
No. I don't think so. As a starring thing, like, here's the thing, though. It's supposed to be pretty damn good. Yeah. Because it's about an American guy in a a corrupt Mexican prison having to deal with, you know, different gangs and playing them against each other. And people compared it to a Sam Peckinpah movie. And it's supposed to be pretty good. But (sighs) Mel Gibson doesn't want my money. (laughs) You're saying just because the Jewish or the woman thing? You know, I not about the woman thing, but... Yeah. Most people forgot about all the shit he said to his lady. There were some N-words in there, too. So yeah. it, Also out this week, sorry, Mel. I know he listens. Harrison Gilbertson, Amy Madigan, Emma Roberts, Ed Harrison, Jennifer Conley, and Virginia. Well, it's another one where it's like, well, this cast deserves better. It's written and directed by Dustin Lance Black, who wrote Milk, and he's got a TV movie, Under the Banner of Heaven, Heaven Coming, which I'm looking forward to. And it's about... Uh, like a lady with a bunch of problems in a small town and she has affairs and she's got problems and like it debuted at the Toronto Film Festival and then he took it back and re-edited it which is a really bad sign and even the filmmakers like yeah I kind of I kind of whiffed that one but all the critics were like Jennifer Connelly's performance is wonderful please someone Jesus Christ put it in a better movie we we should all if we should also reiterate Every movie is getting out of the way of the big movies. So it's like super counter-programming or super niche right now. Yeah, Uh, these are... I mean, this is an indie movie that barely got released at all yeah. it's like no no one's bothering this week yeah but if you if, if, there there are probably were people 10 years ago like i have to see a movie every week and i don't care for these marvel movies I'm going to see virginia or demi moore ashley green douglas booth miley cyrus and lol 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 oh miley yeah it, it's trying to be like the first big facebook twitter social media network high school drama and uh it doesn't really work you know yeah i, I, yeah. I was gonna assume that <laughs> yeah I, I assume because it's for a teenage audience they're dumping it here because they know teenagers are oh, not, not gonna bother not interested like oh, okay. maybe teenage girls they'll pick up who don't want to go see the big movie but it's pretty unlikely and yeah the reviews were pretty rough and i do like the casting at demi moore as miley cyrus's mom i see that i like the casting of demi Demi moore period it only happens like once every eight years nowadays Mm -hmm. i like demi moore what do you mean little girls the next movie has something little girls all love hawkeye god god girls love hawkeye ellen alda (laughs) the very same now for the number one movie at the box office this week bunch of people you've never heard of Gwyneth Paltrow Clark Gregg Colby Smulders Stellan Skarsgård Samuel L. Jackson Tom Hiddleston uh, Scarlett Johansson Jeremy Renner Mark Ruffalo Chris Hemsworth Chris Evans Robert Downey Jr. number one at the box office Marvel's The uh, Avengers Avengers we are at war we need a team let's do a head count Super soldier, the demigod, a couple of master assassins, and there's me. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Yeah. Love that line. And IMAX 3D. Love that line. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sorcerer ring Brett back in. Hi, you sticking around? Whoa. <laughs> hey. Love that proximity oh. humor. He, I didn't just... let me, he didn't let me say it, man. Oh, sorry. For, thing Avengers ring, do your things. Dissemble. You <laughs> don't say it in the first movie. Picking up on the Spider Man conversation, I love that uh, you, me, and Michael are on record doing podcasts like this John Favreau guy. 
is getting a little ahead of himself, thinking he can launch the Avengers after one Iron Man movie. We were at a Comic-Con. He's, he, he's just like, I want to make Avengers. I think we can do it. I think we can introduce more characters. And I just remember we're, we're all three of us are on a podcast. Uh, you, you can't do this. It'll never work. We'll never live to see it. And- <laughs> I already could not believe that Iron when Iron Man in 08 ended with a stinger with Samuel Jackson walking out as Nick Fury, which yeah. was already like kind of dream casting in and itself mm-hmm. as the comics in the ultimate comics straight up drew him to be Nick Fury. And then to see him actually come out, you know, six years later as Nick Fury, you're like, okay. And then oh, yeah. Iron Man ends with a straight up Avengers logo. And I'm just like, I'm like, I glued to my seat. Like you're like, there's no way this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then four more years you get iron it's iron man 2 they lead it and i'm like there's you're gonna make an individual thor an individual cap and i'm like look i i love these characters i don't know how you think these can hold their own movie like (laughs) how do you think this is like this is no way no way in hell this is gonna work and then it does and then here we are and then there's the how this one ends which is a whole other conversation we'll get there it's so bizarre that in 14 years 14 16 Mm -hmm. uh we've we've gone from impossible pipe dream to beloved institution yeah like Mm -hmm. it is it is impossible to imagine marvel movies not working yeah 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 Yeah, they're like the only things to becoming the only things that do work as movies i haven't seen a terrible one yet there have been some that have been met but there have not been any that are like really bad Mm -hmm. the first really bad Marvel film will make headlines for the fact that it's really bad. Yeah. And even then, it'll probably do okay at the box office. It's only when one of them tanks that this thing, that people will, will say like, oh no, this is bad now. And in the nature of how much, I mean, apparently these money, these movies cost so much money, including this yeah. one. I think the Russos just said like, actually, Avengers Endgame was kind of like a $500 million movie. <sighs> and like, Which, should we unpack that the Russos directed the Avengers <laughs> who at Again, to, to go back to the the Raimi and and I mean even Tim Burton directing Batman was kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah really we're we're yeah. okay we're doing that what gives them thinking that Joss Whedon can do an action Serenity epic, which didn't make any money I know but it's 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 still like the competence shown in it, like I'm sorry I just watched it and I don't mean to shower praise on Joss Whedon but it's kind of impossible to talk about the MCU because he is behind the scenes as important to the MCU as John Favreau he directed the uh, Stinger in uh captain america that really sets up the avengers oh that leads into this yeah whedon is known for his group dynamics and making a group ensemble piece work i mean the only one known for marvel comics he he, that's what firefly was and bringing him in to the avengers which is the ultimate ensemble film that's the whole question the big question on this film is a character study yep is almost all intertwined with character moments all the action beats are somehow related to the character's internal emotional states and that's on whedon he nailed that because Mm -hmm. just having it be a smorgasbord of powers with no emotion behind it wouldn't have resonated but by having it be this interpersonal drama that's where he got it completely 100% right. Yeah, and if you watch, I, I again, I just watched Serenity. That's a movie based on a canceled show with 13 episodes. And the opening eight minutes introduce every character and what they want and who they are and where they've been. It's actually kind of genius. So, like, he is the per- he the guy had a, Astonishing X-Men, was it? Like, great, mm, done yeah. great work in comic books already. It, it, it was another one of those things that seemed impossible because everything Joss Whedon works on gets gets canceled 
or gets in trouble. And now we know other things about Joss being kind of a dick behind the scenes and creating a very toxic work environment. But at the time, he was a, a, a hope for geekdom as if, I don't know. I, if... I remember nothing but joy. Just everyone was like incredibly grateful yeah. that Joss Whedon had been given the Avengers. We didn't think it was possible, but I didn't hear any worry or any complaints no, about it. No, and and this this came out in, um, how many Avengers are there? Five, six? They're all like four. four? Yeah. Oh, if you're, no, no, you're no. talking about the pure Avengers film. Oh no, four. no, no. I mean, I mean, uh, members of the Avengers at this point. Like, five? well, five? I mean, in, in its entire history, like in the hundreds. I mean, in but... in this movie in particular, Let's just because see. Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and Thor. Yeah. So, like, the only Six. the only one who is very poorly established is Hawkeye. Everybody else, you kind of already know what who they are and what they do. But, well, Black Widow's not very well established either. That's true. They, they, they established establish them her together. in Iron Man 2. I think yeah, you've got everything about Black Widow you really needed to know in that film. And that's yeah. why the Avengers as a film, it has the Empire Strikes Back head start. Yeah, you know, the Dark Knight Empire, head start. Uh, you already know who all these characters, you don't have to do a whole lot of world building. Most of it's already done. You can just jump in. Same with Avengers. We had five films before this building up everything to be in this film. And uh, that's one reason it can hit the ground running so well and so quickly. And no, but I think I think we knew a little bit about Black Widow, and she probably gets the most character growth out of everything. We know more about her backstory, yeah. and through her, we understand who the hell Hawkeye is, who's someone we've only kind of Glimpsed. seen hiding. Yeah, he's been, he's been standing next to Nick Fury, but but I, but also yeah. I think uh, Black Widow gets the best setup in this. She's kind of reset because she's the, mm -hmm. she's played as villainous in Iron Man too, but she's sort of reset in Avengers very well. That that better explains her character and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like. I don't know. Like, I, it, I, it was hard watching this back to back with Spider Man because by the time before he can shoot a web, the time equivalent we're being introduced to the fucking Chitari in Avengers, <laughs> having already known all these characters. Like, it just moves so much faster and mm, yeah. holds up much better than I thought it would. The first Avengers. It, it's. Yeah, well, it's. I, a, I think Jr. nailed it. A lot of it is getting. Every character gets an arc and some good story beats, and we understand how they interact with each other, which is like, again, I didn't read any comics, but then watching the movie for the first time and being like, oh, of course, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner would like be interested in each other because they're both like super scientists. Mm -hmm. And okay, no, that that makes sense. I gotcha. And oh, of course, Captain America's having trouble catching up with what's going on, and he's very, very believes in, you know, soldiery stuff and is really shocked to find out like oh wait we got ill intentions and maybe i shouldn't follow orders but mm. i do understand flying monkeys references because yeah. that's from 1939 yeah. God, that, that is really <laughs> good that's, such a, brilliant that's a great line and no, noting how like oh iron man 2 built up black widow and thor has a you know brief hawkeye cameo where he's like the eyes in the sky we got some weirdo running around out here and then it, it all culminates in the avengers but it's like this is which has become so common now is like Oh, what movies do I need to have seen to for this one to make the most amount of sense? Yeah, I'm sure there's other films, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, perhaps. If you're a Godzilla <laughs> fan, you you could have seen the individual monster Godzilla and Rodan movies before that to maybe make this make more sense. But <laughs> in a more modern sense, I think is this the first mainstream pop culture? We want we want this to make a billion dollars. We need a mass mass audience here that it expects and basically just assumes. Yep audience people buying a ticket on friday night they've seen all these movies they know going into all these characters are 
I would say spend much time reestablishing it's the first movie comfortable in the internet age this is the first movie which expected a large percentage of its audience to be the equivalent of lost viewers for movies people who would have Mm. been looking up things on the internet reading things on the internet sharing theories saying how part a from movie c works in movie b and so on and so Mm. forth and Mm. i don't think there was a film like that that was comfortable with that before the Avengers. i mean they they do catch you up somewhat on on different stuff but like you pretty much have to have at least read a good synopsis of I, Thor to understand those characters. And Iron Man would definitely help because so much is dependent on Tony Stark's right. goofy, goofiness. I, I built one for my dad. And then in going through these movies, I was sort of like, to be honest, you want to watch Avengers and know what's going on? You watch the trailers for the previous four or five movies and the the end credit sequence. That's really all you need. The end credit sequences are only meant to set up Avengers in the first yeah. few. So like, that's all you need. It'll explain why Cap- who Captain America, where he's been and why he's in the future. Because you don't get that explanation really other than well, like offhandedly and offhanded exposition. He gets a little bit of a flashback of like- I know, but that- but like He's in World War II now. Just watching that five minute short film of it happening, like explain, mm-hmm. it's it maybe should have been in the Avengers, but it's mm-hmm. instead it's, a, it's tacked to the end yeah. of Captain oh, America. Cool. And then Hulk gets, Hulk gets mm-hmm. no setup whatsoever because he- we know who that is Come yes on. but he was also this is the first ruffalo this is the third time yes that's who, right yeah. uh second well i guess three in short order because you had eric bana and then not that that was connected to this but within a 10-year uh, yeah. 11 year period you have three different actors playing bruce banner and ed norton was supposed to be part of all this and then whatever i i forget why he's not but that movie the Incredible Hulk was also 08, gets completely lost and forgotten amongst all this because mm-hmm. everyone's just like, even the setup, they just kind of flush it. Like, no, that didn't happen. But it is part of this. They mentioned the Super Soldier Serum. Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. is in the yeah. end credit sequence, yeah. and it makes no scene. sense, by the way, if you watch it <laughs> now. But it is it technically where the MCU comes to formation. Like, oh, because that was like two months after Iron Man. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like then two months later. And yeah. I remember them talking about these movies are going to be interconnected. And like, and I was sitting in the theater, and all of a sudden Robert Downey Jr. shows up at the end credits. It was shocking. Uh, yeah. More, yeah. Sho- yeah. more so what... than Sam Jackson showing up at the end of Iron Man. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I loved. Like, and I know at this at this point, there's so these movies are so household namey, ubiquitous, and and even the the concept of stingers is just so common. Even movies <laughs> where you're like, you don't have to do one. No one said you had to put a mid credits in here, random movie. That's just that was their thing because so many comics would end where they would wrap a story, mm-hmm. and there's just little asides. Sometimes it's a two page aside in the middle of the issue. Sometimes sometimes it's just the last page of the issue, but it would tease something that's happening in a storyline yeah. not related to what you're reading right now. But hey, reader, there's a larger universe at work here. Yeah. And even though you're not seeing what villain of the week Spider-Man is doing, he's fighting Vulture this issue. But did you know that Doc Ock over here is thinking of this or this heart surgeon's going to become cardiac in two issues? We need to set that up. Because <laughs> they had to like, de- almost desperately say, we're wrapping the story, but please don't stop reading our comics. Yes, you need to come back next month. And so to see these movies just wholeheartedly be like, 
dropping cameos, even simple, simple cameos like Chris Evans showing up for five seconds as Thor Captain Amer- as Loki playing Captain America <laughs> in the second Thor movie, I yeah. think. Yeah. For just one, like it's just two seconds, but it's like that's the kind of stuff that the surprise and delight you would get in comics where movies none of the movies would ever dare to try to it's like no a movie needs to be a film it's it's the standalone thing all the all the research shows people lose people if we start (laughs) referencing things too much and it's like no it turns out like we got very trained over the last 30 years of media to especially during the internet and like you said lost and things like that Mm -hmm. it's like we once you have people watch the movie they go home and just start looking things up so now you can have a movie like avengers come out and i don't know I, i love even like you said, Diana, even when they're C minus movies, I still just like it's just an, like the second Ant-Man movie. I'm like, yeah, this is great. You know why? Because it's 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 the issue that would have come in that month and I would have read it. And, been like, <laughs> and I, it would have been like, and yeah, there's there's bad issues and even bad arcs of six or 12 issue arcs. We're like, woo, P.U. But there's always more. There's always a new creative team. There's oh. Or you can like later this story may have new context because something got set up here that another writer 15 years from now picked something up. <laughs> And it's like, oh, in between the lines of all this Sin Eater stuff, did you know Eddie Brock, blah, 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 now Venom? And you're like, oh, this kind of not like borderline just filler story is now so important to go back and read and kind of look between the lines. And it's like little things like that, that movies mm. weren't really doing because why would they? That's not their strong suit or the medium was trying to accomplish those things. But for a comic book movie arc universe, I love it. And I this that all comes to a head here and you get this crazy cast. And then yeah. it's not like it even ended here. It then splinters out and they all get sequels and then they all team up again and it's multiple I, times i watched it last night i thought it, it most of the effects hold up it's weird like colson somehow makes it feel so much older because i totally yeah. forgot about him being a very important aspect in the early mcu mm-hmm. well yeah he was he was the guy tying everything in he was your everyday character to be acting how you would act if you were around a god or a superhero so as the audience viewpoint character having him die was a big deal it was like making it real today and even even uh with all the dozens of movies that have came out here i'd still say colson's death in this film is probably one of the most meaningful deaths in the mcu yeah i feel like more people should have seen colson's death and i think death is in quotes officially because mm-hmm. I think the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, but it should have seen it coming because they bring in Colby, Colby Smulders to be the a person that Nick Fury can talk to so we know mm-hmm. what he is up to. Mm-hmm. It's Ooh. like, oh, well, that was Colson's job. Uh, right. Well, Col- Colson's <laughs> created for the, the movies and Maria Hill is from the comics and oh. pretty much is another Fury. She becomes Fury several times. She... Yeah, but it's smart. You need to bring someone in for him to talk about what he's thinking and what he's planning and to call him on his bullshit of like, you just made all that up. And he's like, yeah, but it worked to get them all together. They're going it... off to kick some ass. But Col- Colson is, uh, yeah, even he's like a Harley Quinn. He's created in the adaptation and then is adopted mm-hmm. by the comics. So he's officially a comic yeah. character now. It has been for a while, but he is oddly symbolic. And I meant to look up more concrete information about this he's symbolic of the pre-disney age of the mcu because disney i think this is disney's first mcu movie because they that they produce from start to finish i think so and i because i because i watched it last night and i think paramount is technically still involved they paid to have the paramount logo left on the film because they didn't have like a disney subsidiary studio to say this is a disney movie they still like to this day, they, they only have the Marvel logo. They don't put the Disney logo in front of Marvel films. But I believe that Disney has taken over Marvel at this point 
and but Paramount has done most of the heavy lifting in, in terms of storytelling. I was, I mean, yeah, going back and watching it and picking out like, yeah, little Easter eggs of where things are going to go and realizing like, oh, yeah, they trash Grand Central Station. And that's why I think some like might be the might be the next movie where you see like the the facade on Grand Central Station now has like a thing for the Avengers and the first responders during the big alien attack. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's set up. And, remember that little little characters here and here there i think the one of the bad guys from winter soldier is like one of the guys doing computer analysis i'm like i think that's the guy who turns out to be hydra guys mm. guys the guy playing galaga <laughs> it could be the guy playing love fabulous moments in this film yes. that i think have stuck around you know what are you without your suit billionaire uh, genius philanthropist the scene of hulk just grabbing loki in the middle oh, of his big speech and smashing him and then saying puny god i, uh, I didn't realize that that's that's basically a running gag where where loki starts to monologue and someone fucks him up colson does the same thing <laughs> right before he dies uh thor, thor. Have the, I, that's my secret i'm, I'm always, always angry, angry. and oh, just, which i've still not understand how does yeah. that work <laughs> Well, that he can always be, he's already always angry enough to be Hulk, but he has more control over whether or not yeah, I think he transforms. The, the thing there you're supposed to infer is like he is constantly battling. Like he is always about to be the Hulk. But, and so in this moment when they're just like, please just, just let her rip. And that transformation in that scene is absolutely effortless. There's no resistance. He's just like, right. I'm always it's, angry. And it, he just lets it go. And it, it is the only time you see him become Hulk where it's just blossoming like a flower versus yeah. like a werewolf. <laughs> Yeah, he's versus like trying the... to hold it in and like, no, not now. But he's like, oh, I can punch whatever. I can go nuts. Let her rip. So that, but the, the Hulk sequence in that's that's what I had written down before we can introduce that Spider-Man can shoot webs. The Avengers is introducing us to a helicarrier. So regardless of all the other stuff that was in, we knew was going to be in the movie, that was a shock. That was not in the trailer. There weren't sure. toys that ruined it. We didn't know. Holy yeah. shit, they're going to introduce S.H.I.E.L.D.'s helicarriers. But yeah, Hulk's moment in the helicarrier is still like my favorite Hulk moment. Yeah, so and yeah. I think the, I was going to mention, like the Avengers, like going back into the 60s, they first assemble, it's it's Loki. And then like Hulk has some like rough and tumble stuff and they kick Hulk out of the Avengers pretty early on, I believe. Mm -hmm. But then it's the Ultimates around 0203. That's, you know, the, the Ultimate Universe starts in 2000. It's a whole other universe and their numbers five and six, I think, or there's only whatever, whatever. There's like issue four, five or six. I forget which one, but it's that scene. It's Hulk mm -hmm. loses control. He tears through the city and the Avengers first real mission to come together when they're not arguing with each other because it's a different universe and they don't have like years of friendship or anything. It's just like they've all just met like this week and now they've got to go stop Hulk, who is borderline unstoppable. And like that scene, I remember people talking about it like in talk shows. I forget <laughs> where, but like someone was a guest on like Conan or David Letterman or something. And somebody mentioned it. It's like, have you guys heard of this comic? And it's just like <laughs> apropos of nothing. And it's just talking about how great he loves the Ultimates. And I'm like, and that's around when I finally got back into comics. I'd been out of it for like eight years because the mid 90s was a rough time mm. to be in the comics anymore. Was that, but was that oh, Malar, Mark Millar? I think Ultimates? So, yeah. yeah. And, and there's definitely some aged stuff in there that's not so great anymore. But like the art, I love the art. and uh, But just the spectacle of 
of a, of a rampaging Hulk that the other Avengers have to try to get him to stop. That was definitely a, a scene. It's like, okay, if you're making an Avengers movie, that's the, that's the modern scene that we want to see. Not them fighting Loki. Cause it's like, whatever he'll trick him and he'll shape shift or whatever. And, but Hulk running amok and them having to stop it, like in, in a city with massive destruction and they're mm. all barely keeping it together. And they're being thrown through buildings, Dragon Ball style, like that modern imagery of it, the very like borderline anime, like mm. that's that was mm. the scene that I'm like I'm so glad they're doing this and you get things like the helicarrier you get yep yeah, <laughs> I don't know, Hulk so versus stuff. fighter jet I totally forgotten yeah. about that scene. I love yeah. it. Oh! Angry. Target is angry <laughs> <laughs> just back there ripping ripping it up for what the scene is it's a very quick scene but it's just how long he's back there like uh he's just ripping the shit out of the plane like there's just <laughs> stuff flying ejects. everywhere the guy ejects and Hulk grabs the ejection yeah <laughs> God, it's so good. Like little little character things of Hulk just being so furious and and getting that I mean anger is a very easy emotion to convey with a face it's like just furrow your brow or something but it's like just this directionless anger is so well animated it's it's just so well done um that's great and then I mean and then of course that begs the question what do you do with a stinger when all of your movies have led to this. Wow. And let me tell yeah. you something, and I've talked about this probably <laughs> 10 years ago when this happened the first time because we've been podcasting for so long. But like, especially in this context where like it's taken, you know, years, it's from 08 to 2012 with Iron Man and going on. We've had four years. And this was the goal. It's like, we're just making Iron Man or we're, we're making an Avengers movie. And maybe by then they've uh, maybe, I don't even think at this point they had named like Winter Soldier and I don't think they named any of it. It's like, yeah, they're signed yeah. on for a bunch of movies. But if this movie tanks for some reason who knows remember that was that was weird that remember that happened when we were at that comic-con we were at comic-con and and they announced winter soldier and days of future past in like what used to be the marvel comics panel they're announcing and then they announced guardians of the galaxy we get word on the floor like they just announced a guardians of the galaxy movie what the hell and it was just like that stinger which I mean, I and I remember like the movie's over, and you're just like, well, I wonder what they'll do. Is there even gonna do they even bother? Because like this was the dream, and they did it. And then at the end of the movie, you're riding that high, and you're like, I don't know, I'd be totally happy if that was just the movie. I, I I'm so pleased with what they delivered. And then what got me in the comics in the first place was like, yeah, trading cards and some toys and all that. But it was 1991 Infinity Gauntlet, just seeing random comics around and and friends talking about it and reading that. And that is some of my first comic reading is buying off the rack Infinity Gauntlet, I think probably three and then eventually four and four is the one where he fights everybody. But like that entered that that shaped my entire concept of the Marvel universe to me. I would picked at things here and there. Like I'd read secret war by then just, just, okay. Characters all know each other. That's cool. But like the scope of it was just so mm-hmm. not known to me yet. And so Thanos infinity gauntlet, all that stuff is the reason I'm into any of this stuff. They, they had be- thrown away the infinity gauntlet as like a, scene in Thor and they had to later say like nah that wasn't the real one but like (laughs) that was a fake one but that shows that they they didn't know they were going there in in, at Thor at the time no and then so yeah there's just the ending and it's like oh to to they've they blew up Loki it's bad and to court I forget what the line is but like to fight them would be to to court death yeah, mm-hmm. and then the head turns and it's Thanos, and I remember just groaning in the theater with some inhuman <laughs> sub subwoofer noise. Yeah, no, I was sitting directly behind you, and <laughs> I can tell you the noise you made. It was you were trying to say "Oh my God" and "Yeah" at the same time, <laughs> and I just kind of heard it. Yeah, <laughs> just like, and I remember turning to Michael and being like, "I don't think Brett can walk right now. We need to yeah. give him a minute." Yeah, I mean, I was, I was. 
it was not even on the the dartboard of possibilities of like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thing, things I hope they do in this film confirm Thanos like that's not even no. nobody no, was expecting zero percent there's zero percent chance that that's happening and then for them to just straight up do it immediately then implies they said court death I wish that had paid off a little more because yeah. none of the death worshipping stuff even came uh, up yeah, yeah. And, they, and they had a way to do that too once they brought in Kate Blanchett she's mm. death see that's what I thought was going to happen because uh. like literally as we're walking out I'm like okay please explain what I just saw I don't know who the fuck that was and right like yeah. he's a guy who's in love with the physical death and I'm like Oh, bitchin'. Yeah. <laughs> but I was reading the Infinity Gauntlet as it was coming out, and that was probably my highest level of comic fandom I've ever had in. Mm -hmm. Uh, getting every issue I could every month, just reading it, devouring it. Uh, no internet at the time, so just learning about the Marvel Universe as I went. And as a 12, 13-year-old, I was like, how amazing would it be if someday they could actually film this? And even at 10, even at 12 or 13, I knew that was impossible. Mm -hmm. I knew that was just this childish dream that could never come about. And the fact that this film sets it in motion makes me think I live in one of the very, very improbable timelines where mm -hmm. everything... I loved as a 12 and 13 year old just gets shoveled billions of dollars. Okay. JR at age 12 and 13, what do you want to see? Okay. Here's billions of dollars to make that popular. <laughs> I, I think I was talking with Michael about that recently that I started podcasting, feeling like an overlooked geek nerd. Where's the stuff I like? And like, here I am. Everything I've ever liked is a major motion picture or yeah. Everything I've ever loved is coming back and being sold to me in some form. Like, I got everything I wanted. Why so angry, white people? It's <laughs> we, we might actually be the most catered to demographic. Yes, for real. Like, I got nothing to, but, but at this time, I, yeah, I was, we were staying away from spoilers, but like, there was no inkling they were going to go Thanos. And in hindsight, no. I just, you know, at the time, I remember some of the more petty criticism is whether or not things are accurate. Like we did not see the story of infinity gauntlet by a shred at all. It was a completely right. different story with yeah. the stones. And I think that's way more rewarding than just regurgitating an adaptation to us and using, yeah, use I, I love, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I liked I liked how they handled it. My, I, I wish it had gone a little more wild with Endgame. I actually liked Infinity War more than Endgame because I was like, I feel like we're recycling some ideas here. But all in all, the fact that it exists at all is one, an, a miracle, and then two, still a very satisfying conclusion to this like 15 year arc of films that they had made. And it was it was a great time. And I'm glad that thing was like three hours long or whatever it was. Um, like let her rip. I had a great time. Yeah, those issues. It's not like it's not like it's the best written comic. And wow, you're gonna come away with like whatever it's just it's the scale and it's the direness and yep. the sheer hopelessness like how can anyone ever and you know in the back of your mind like well they're not sorry everyone's dead marvel marvel <laughs> comics are canceled that's it you know, like, you know even as an 11 year old i'm like well they're gonna get out of this but how, how? can they possibly how? get out of this mm -hmm. and the comic answer is not too different but it's also I like, like you said, I like that it's an adaptation so that I don't know, I don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah. And doing the time heist thing is, as for a film, is probably more entertaining than what really boiled down to like, oh, we'll just wish slightly convoluted answer the soul gem or whatever is like, <laughs> yeah. eh, maybe we don't do that. We, the time heist is probably more fun because it's yeah. also, they're celebrating 10 years of film. We get to go revisit the beginnings. It, yeah. What a great way to, to reward all yep. that tension that it, starts here. And, I was know, thinking some about. A, a little bit about that watching the Avengers where you got you know the big hero shot where they they all capture Loki and it's like okay 
let Hulk take the elevator <laughs> or else he's going to smash down those stairs and be really mad. And then you're going to lose the Tesseract again. I saw the next movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. technically that build is setting up Thanos here. That build took longer than Iron Man for to the Avengers, which yeah. given that I was younger, that felt, and there was the fewer movies that felt more agonizing and like, Oh, I can't wait to see another goddamn Marvel movie. Yeah, it's like, got more MacGuffins to set up. God damn it. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's seven years but, to the completion of Thanos' story. Yeah. And, and that thread that starts there with, with 2012 Avengers, it's largely done. Although, you know, the ramifications in the Marvel universe of that movie and, you know, pandemic obviously threw a wrench into any movie releasing plans. Um, Cause I think multiverse of madness was supposed to come out last year. Wasn't it? I think so. Like, cause WandaVision like leads into this and i Felt like the original plan was one division ends, and then not too long after you have this strange. No, I mean, yeah, Chadwick Boseman was supposed was alive when they were supposed to have been filming yeah. the second Black Panther, and yeah, it is so obviously. But American. like, it, it, there really is a what do you do after that? Because that was the dream, like to get an Infinity Gauntlet movie, and it's like okay. You could try Secret War. You could try, I don't know, Onslaught. I don't I don't know, man. Galactus. But Galactus seems so small when you were, when reality was on the line. Um, I guess Galactus trying to eat Earth would be cool. But I mean, I still want to see him done right. I yeah. guess there is that. I do. No, he's, he's not just a giant cloud. Yeah. Please, no. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny being here now 10 years after this movie and it's it, we're almost back to like what's next and what's yeah. the next big tease to like, I mean, the multiverse stuff, but we kind of got that paid off with No Way Home, like, and then Multiverse mm. of Madness, you'll get. I wouldn't speculate on microphone, but there's a lot to look forward to and whoever that council is in the sure, trailer. Sure, yeah. And I mean, that's straight up, um, you know, New Avengers Illuminati referencing stuff there, so you can mm -hmm. draw your own conclusions. I don't know. Who knows where the series will go from now to the point when it becomes unprofitable. <laughs> <laughs> I think it $25 billion, by the way. Oh the MCU God. has made $25 billion. See, but the, I mean, that was always my thing going into the Avengers thinking like, well, they can probably catch people up generally on who these characters are. But I don't know. They're going to have trouble like getting people to go watch every single movie, you know, to set up the next one. And mm -hmm. it's like now we've branched out into like, yeah, does Multiverse of Madness make sense if you haven't watched WandaVision, which is just <laughs> a, a random TV show over here that's yeah. actually about grief? <laughs> but it's important to see that for that to make sense. It's very, it's going to become very important. Yeah. It's going to get it. Like how much more complicated can it be to keep up? I don't, I don't, I don't. Well, they, they said that you should watch agents of shield, the TV show. No, I never watched a single episode and I never had any problem with any of the Marvel movies. Right. I've never watched any Marvel TV show before WandaVision. And I still loved all the movies they, without any. They, remember, they said like uh, Coulson dies, and like almost immediately, like he'll also be starring in this Agents of <laughs> Shield show that will start that will coincide with events of the MCU. And like the next fucking MCU movie is the destruction of Shield. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> did you tell them that before you greenlit yeah, the show? That was pretty great. <laughs> but that was also like that was a surprise. It's like the seventh episode of the show. <laughs> like Winter Soldier comes out, mm -hmm. and then the next week of the show, the show adapts to the movie. Yeah, and you're like, wow, those crazy bastards! Like they <laughs> they're just actually working in unison and making things make sense across. Like I mean, and that's comics. Like they would have they'd have like a you know an overall like Marvel 
or DC, like when you're doing these huge crossovers that that affect every comic, you need someone's vision of like, okay, this can't happen over here. And sometimes that means blowing up otherwise good storylines. The the ding 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 uh swamp thing animal man thing getting blown up for whatever Green Lantern story that was was definitely a one. rot I'm like, world. I'm like, no, don't stop with don't ruin that for this. But I mean it always happens anytime like House of M is one where like, oh, this Captain yeah. America storyline's really good. Time to take a pause so we can do House <laughs> of M crossovers for a month or whatever. Okay, back to the regular story. So I forgot what point I was even making. Please. <laughs> I mean, but that's go. it's it's the it's the fun thing about com- uh, comics in general. It's like watching four or yeah. five really good TV shows at once, and they all talk to one another. And yep. we hadn't yep. had that in a while. I, I know that used to happen occasionally on television. You, Magnum PI would meet up with Angela Lansbury on occasion. Solve some <laughs> I can confirm. I'm in season twelve of Murder She Wrote, and it is. Uh, I haven't seen any cool crossovers in a while. But, but, but... like you said, Jr. Like just this in a, in a streaming world, these kind of things are beginning to become more omnipresent and important. I keep talking about that. I keep. I've been rewatching the original Star Trek movies in 4K, mm. and the second movie is Wrath of Khan, the first movie that's like you need to know what happened in an episode of Star Trek, and they don't really. Yeah. You don't really need to know that. Like the, the movie gives it yeah. to you. So like I think at most when a new Marvel movie comes out, you're going to need to know one you're going to have to see, have seen one or two things. It'll be it'll be very rare you'll need to know everything that's ever happened. Cuz I mean I'm watching Moon Knight right now and like they'll say something like I know what that is, but I don't want to look it up cuz it you know doesn't really <laughs> if it's super important, they'll remind you. But but I will I will say if you if you never saw the Netflix shows Disney Plus just added all the Netflix shows and the Battle of New York is about the most thing that it's constantly referenced in Daredevil and uh, Luke yeah. Cage and Jessica Jones well, and yeah because it's like twenty nine elevens it is really yes. bad and it's and these are all New York the, set shows but it doesn't that, that's there's a point where they land so like Iron Man gets punched and lands in front of a farmer's insurance sign and I just started thinking about the insurance <laughs> costs of rebuilding half of Midtown that's just like but uh, but uh, we were told those Netflix shows are going to tie in heavily to the MCU mm. and that was the extent of it the referencing the Avengers as being the worst thing that happened in New York since 9-11. Although we don't know what universe it is, so maybe 9-11 never happened. Yep. Although Daredevil did show up in the Spider-Man movie. That's so true. we're bringing it all back over Oh, now. so complicated. But that, I think we got to move on. Uh, Elston, Michael, you ready to get warped back into your <laughs> realities? Oh I'm, back into, back there. I'm going back into stasis until they make a God Emperor of Dune movie, and then I'll be back. <laughs> uh, Hell yeah, giant worm, man. I want to see them I, realize that on screen. I After Infinity Gauntlet, I'm like, I dare you. I dare you, Hollywood. And and the, ben, the Denis Villeneuve, oh, he's the guy man. to do it. Like that yeah. movie, I loved it. Ooh. I give me the twelve hour version of that. I don't care. But yeah. like to get to my next, my next un- unfilmable thing that will never happen is that fourth book, uh, Break Glass in Case of Giant Worm God. I'll be back. <laughs> infinite sequels with infinite Duncan Idaho's. Let's go. <laughs> it is uh, Jason Momoa's insurance uh, career insurance. <laughs> uh, that is for sure. He is never going away. Nope. Well, right. bye everyone. Bye. 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 Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for that was amazing. Over an hour talk about Marvel movies. We're the only podcast willing to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I expressed enough the noise that Brett made. 
when Thanos came on, gave me such joy because I could tell how happy he was inside. I, 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 was, I, was, so I was sitting right there. I remember it was just like, um, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I'm happy for him. What about for me? Well, it's not, Brett's not the only one who reads comics and cares about Marvel and, movies. Jesus, Diane. And, and, whatever. What am I, chopped yeah. liver? A food I've never yeah. experienced? You see, I actually like chopped liver. Really? So I don't understand that mm. phrase. I think it's just because it's cheap. I should give it a chance, honestly. I've, I've had liver. I'm not sure I've ever had chopped liver. I had, it's, it's more oniony. I had schmaltz one time. Oh, there you go. Is that, oh. is that chopped liver? <laughs> no, that's chicken fat. Uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Moving on to television of 2012, April 29th through May 5th. Family Guy episode, Mr. and Mrs. Stewie. So yeah, Stewie gets back on the world domination kick. I feel like uh, that is something his character has been missing, and they hang a lampshade on it. He says, victory shall be mine, and Brian the dog looks at him, and he goes, what? And he just says, nothing. You just you haven't said that in a really long time. <laughs> he was like, no, I say it all the time. No, you haven't said it in a really long time. <laughs> I, can, I, I think when I could still watch Family Guy reruns, you can always tell the ones that are in standard definition. And those are like the main ones that Stewie wants to kill his mom and uh, take over the world. But right. I haven't watched one of those in at least a decade. Like, yeah, uh, yeah megalomaniacal Stewie. He's, now he's the voice of reason in Brian's best friend. But there was one of those clips that just, for whatever reason, have stuck with me for the last 10 years. Ooh, family guy will do that. Strong women always turn out to be nightmares like Joan of Arc. Hey, guys, I'm not like other girls. I kill people, burp, and watch so much porn. Isn't that cool? No. I like a lot of goofball comedy that other chicks don't like. My favorite thing to play is call him. Look me up. I'm Guitar Girl 76. Let's burn this chick at the stake. I love steak. Other girls don't. I'm actually more like a dude. Hey, guys, don't come in my room. I might be rubbing one in. <laughs> so, so I actually learned a phrase for the first time about two weeks ago called a pick me girl. And uh, I didn't know what they were referencing, but apparently pick me girl. Oh, like, okay. pick me, pick me, pick me. It, it means a woman who is desperate for male attention that she will kind of throw her gender under the bus by saying how bad women are. Ah. Mm. Uh. I see. Take it on the kickball team. I think I'm confusing the metaphor here. Episode How I Met Your Mother, Good Crazy, is out this week. So this is when Barney discovers he actually has issues dating a stripper. You know, he was originally like, this is so awesome. I'm so cool. I'm dating a stripper. And then it turns out, no, actually, he has emotional problems dating a stripper she's fine with her profession he is not can they work it out and uh you know for a sitcom it's a decent portrayal because i don't know chris have you ever dated a stripper no <laughs> i did date a stripper and <laughs> didn't expect that uh, <laughs> well i i there was a time before i was married and i did date people and one of them was a stripper and I didn't think it would bother me, and it mostly didn't, but there was a smidgen and enough there that I can completely understand it just being a no-go for some people. And if that's their thing, that's fine. They just got to be honest and open with it. Hmm. I, I think that there's a couple different ways you could go. Some of it, like pride, like all these guys want mm -hmm. to get with that, but she's with me. Check yep. out what you're missing, guys. But also the like, they're seeing her boobies 
And that comes into play. Yep. Yeah. I would rather date a stripper than another hairdresser any day. I just say. 30 20, 10 hates hairdressers. <laughs> I didn't say that. They're just not dateable. Uh, what am I saying? I haven't gotten a haircut in four years. Nope. nope. The flow be for me. That's all I need. Uh, yep. It sucks as it cuts. And uh, <laughs> this week on AMC, the pitch debuts. Uh, this is AMC going, we own Mad Men, right? Yeah. What can we possibly do with this? And That's so they cheap. try to make a reality show with modern day ad men making pitches. And it doesn't last. What's the matter? Was Chris Hardwick not around to host a post show? You can't <laughs> get something cheap out of that. Talking mad. And then In Plain Sight, that show ends as well this week. A sexy but formidable U.S. Marshals whose job is to put people in the witness relocation program in the Southwest. Oh. Right. It's a USA show, in it? Yep, it yeah. is. An unfunny yep. delocated. Uh, and then finally, games of uh, April 29th through May 5th. Terra on PC. <laughs> JR is noted frequently called one of the worst MMOs ever made. And that's that's a big title, but it, 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 it gets put on that list very, very frequently. Basically, it's a dress-up game with minor combat. Like, the main focus is on combat. And the main race, which you're pretty much encouraged to play, is called the Ella. And the Ella look like very young girls, but are actually thousands of years old. So it's totally cool. Oh, no. Yeah. God, I hate that. Cheap. And uh, also, you might like Sniper Elite uh, V2 for Uh, PS3. Sniper game in the closing days of World War II. Yeah, and you get to kill Hitler in this game, or is that the other sniper game? You um, should, but I don't know. Uh, you can uh, you can shoot Hitler in the balls, I think. Um, <laughs> Nexius is out on PC, as is Port Royal Three: Pirates and Merchants. Port Royal is a buy low, sell high game uh, where you balance: do you want to be a merchant or do you want to be a pirate? Because the adventure campaign lets you become more piratey, but that destroys your merchant game. So these are not little... the same. These shouldn't be a choice. It's would you <laughs> would you like to be a superhero or bake bread? Like no. <laughs> blood I, bread. These shouldn't be the blood bread. Blood. Blood. <laughs> we can make some blood. And um, uh, Nexus is if you want to play Quake, but don't want to play Quake. Uh, but yes, we got, we're going to tell you who died uh, during this period, as well as have a fun little quiz on who was born during this period, but JR will most definitely get his ass kicked by me. <laughs> Just talking smack. Get it up, brother. You, you can do this. But uh, yeah, I want to tell you to go to patreon.com slash lasertime. we got extra shows for you with me, Diana, JR, rest of the Lasertime gang. Video Game Apocalypse every Friday. So a video game show I do with Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Raparez, and Maddie Allen. Should be a ton of fun this week. We're talking... Can't make this sound exciting. <laughs> Games based on novels. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to talk about it because usually games are based on the movie adaptation of the novel, not the straight-up novel, except for the ones we found. Die, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, we have a couple really fucking good movies, man. Yeah. We've got an absolutely brutal crime film uh, starring Bill Paxton and a very early role from Billy Bob Thornton, which I think he co-wrote. Hmm. Drew Barrymore is going to make some trashy decisions to show that she's a sexy lady now. Oh boy. Oh boy. Robert Altman's po- kind of late masterpiece, yep. a Hollywood satire. We will see how well that holds up. 
Ooh. And on top of that, Johnny Depp is a vampire. <laughs> I may or may not be talking about a film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know exactly what that is, and I'm trading my world. JR, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. And uh, Talking Terrific Television, that's a wrap? That's a wrap. We have finished the Talking Terrific Television journey, a chronological exploration of The Sopranos. We cover every episode, plus a couple of special episodes about The Sopranos movie, as well as our last episode, which is an hour and 30-minute exploration of the last five minutes Ooh. of The Sopranos. Hell yeah. It's worth it. It's worth it. I believe in it. So, die. who died during this period? Oh, we lost... Two people, tragically, way too soon. Both in 2012, we lost football great Junior Seau, who was 43. He died by shooting himself in the chest so that his brain could be examined because he was having so many chronic cognitive issues. And they found, yes, he did have CTE. No. Yeah, it's really upsetting that his feeling of like something's wrong with my head i can't live like this anymore but also i want them to be able to study mm. so uh yeah uh posthumously added to the hall of fame because he totally deserved it and then he was only 43 uh mca adam yach was only 47 in the beastie boys cancer motherfuckers it sucks i cannot believe it's been 10 years since uh had all the beastie boys wow the only one who uh sounded cool i really liked his voice i really did uh, after a yeah. bunch of like squeaky voices, it was a breath of fresh air on uh, rock stations that allowed rappers if they were white. RIP MCA. And with that out of the way, we got to figure out who lived, who was born in this period, because it's bu- 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 birthday time. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, turning fifty. 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 Mm. A, a story of failure. Boom. Until it's not a story of failure. Actually, researching this person found it kind of inspiring. Born May 2nd, 1972 in Hayward, California, which is a boring-ass place in the Bay Area. Yeah. His family moved a lot. By the time he went to high school, he lived in Connecticut, Honolulu, Charlotte, and Bethlehem, PA. Hmm. Keanu Reeves. No, decent guess. We've already done him. Uh, he played football at the University of Miami on their championship team, but he rode the bench. He graduated with a degree in criminology and physiology. Is that The Rock? Weird. It is The Rock. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. Had to... I know the University of Miami is kind of good. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. It is The Rock. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. How yeah, my I ass really... taste, JR. I got that one. Too. Uh, this is not going to be fun if I continue to talk was, like that. I was a Florida and a wrestler. I, right. I did not realize he entered the NFL draft and was undrafted. Signed with the Calgary Stampeders in the CFL. And was cut from the team after like two months. He never played a game. I mean, wrestling wow. is kind of every football player's fallback. Yeah. Well, and it's also his family business. Oh, yeah. But I appreciate him trying to do something else. You know, he really, really wanted to play football. But, you know, his father and grandfather and his mom and his grandmom, they're mm -hmm. all in wrestling. So he could do that. And movies of his we have talked about. I'm glad we didn't have to get to this because I was going to do his character names. And none of this is the least helpful thing to do. <laughs> Scorpion Hank King. Parsons. Christopher Danson, Derek Thompson, Captain Baker, Jack Bruno, Agent 23, Joe Kingman, Sean Porter, Jericho Kane, and then Agent Luke Hobbs and right. Matthias of Akkad, the Scorpion King. You but those get are pretty high before you can recognize a single name <laughs> on that list. No, they're just, yeah. But uh, those are his characters from Journey to the Mysterious Island, the other guys, Tooth Fairy Planet 51, Race to Rich Mountain. Get Smart, The Game Plan, Gridiron Gang, Southland Tales, Past Five, and Let Me Return, Slash, The Scorpion King. Films of his we have talked about, and yeah, 50. 
I do not. 50, yeah. Man does not look 50. Jesus. He really, really does not. Mm -hmm. So going by the Schwarzenegger model, he's got 10 years left. Yeah. And then, then yeah. there's. You should start moving into character roles. Mm -hmm. Then there's bit parts, and you can uh, sadly revisit your old triumphs. Um, in but he, he doesn't have the memorable characters Arnold does. You know, you can yeah. name. Conan, you can name the Terminator. What about his gay um, cowboy and get shorty that I also can't name? They're the, <laughs> being cool, yeah, be cool. It's like I'm listing all these title, all these character names, and it's like I don't. He's always just oh, it's Wayne Johnson, or oh, it's The yeah. Rock. Hmm. Yeah, he doesn't have a character, right? Which is kind of the mark of a true fucking movie star, right? Right. I mean, yeah. he kind of well, you know, he kind of fits that Bruce Willis mold of like he is always who he is in every movie. Look, you put him in a tight shirt, you put him in yeah. front of a palm tree in the jungle. <laughs> We've established that there's about 15 of those. Yeah, yeah. But that about wraps up the show. Remember, patreon.com slash laser time. Help us out. We do appreciate it. Uh, we're going to close out with Light and Day by the Polyphonic Spree. Boy, did it take about two notes for this to trigger every memory in me. Yeah. It actually didn't take off until about 2004 when it was used in a VW commercial. Yes. And then fucking everywhere but this is such a happy song I it is i mean that's what happens when you have a band of 25 people or something like that uh, but i thoroughly recommend looking up the music video for eternal sunshine of the spotless mind that's where i heard the song and is that, that's gondry right mm -hmm. the whole music video he adds animated mouths from scenes of the movies like just things singing at jim carrey including jim carrey singing at himself it's just scenes from eternal sunshine but every scene is singing this song it's weird <laughs> In a fun way. Uh, it always makes me happy. Light and Day by the Polyphonic Spree. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you guys next week. Hey guys, sorry I'm late, it's Dave. I was just getting those shawarmas, uh, you know, before we recorded. Uh, guys? Guys? Alright, well, more for me.